You look frightened, Darren. Have I been saying something frightening? I, 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 I don't know what you've been saying. I've been talking about your podcast and how you're going to do it. D- d- do what? How are you going to have a podcast? How are you, you going to record it? How are you going to get anyone to listen to it? But th- wh- why don't you just get on your bike and, and cycle away from here, okay? Where are you, you going to get the listeners, Darren? Where are you going to get the movies? Or do you already have them? Shut up! Oh, yeah, you got a lot of movies, haven't you? 250 movies. I'm Darren. And I'm Andrew. And welcome to 250, your weekly slash fortnightly movie podcast. We're back this week talking about Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho, released in 1960, the classic slasher horror movie. Andrew, had you seen this movie before? I had. I had only just seen this recently. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. This this had been something that I'd managed to go maybe 30 years without seeing. I feel like I saw it last year or the year before, perhaps. Yeah. Well, it's one of those things that's such a part of pop culture that even if you haven't seen it, there's a sense that you've seen lots of it. It's like it's a wonderful yeah. life. You sort of, even through The Simpsons, say, you've watched a lot of it. Ups- yeah, yeah. Maggie, Maggie used to learn... Uh, <laughs> a lot from that. A lot from Itchy and Scratchy, is it? That's it, exactly. And it has the one yeah. where Homer pulls the, te- pulls the thing and spills <laughs> the paint and you get the little swirling shot and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I'd actually... I had only seen it about 10, 15 years ago myself. Because I was... At the time, I was going through a bit of a Hitchcock phase. And I asked my gran in... in I, was, perfect... I was having a hopscotch phase. And, and that's how you got onto it. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was either that or Peeping Tom from 1959, and you landed on the wrong square. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, 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 Those are the two options. That was, that was, that was pretty much what it was. I tell it like it is, but uh, yeah, in in um, perhaps a manner that is somewhat appropriate for Psycho, I watched it with my grandmother because it turned out it was her favorite uh, Alfred Hitchcock film, and she remembered it scaring her senseless when she watched it in the cinemas. Um, so we watched it together, and it was uh, a very, you know, a boy's best friend is his grandmother, Andrew. Yeah, yeah, not, not not in an ironic or creepy way. No, nothing weird about that. This is an interesting movie. Even now, I, I, I can imagine at the time it must have been have been mind blowing and stuff. Yeah, like yeah, it. yeah. Because it really was. Because I mean, we'll, we'll talk a bit generally about it before we get into sort of spoilers. Even though I get the sense everybody knows most of the stuff about it, even if you've never seen it. Yeah. But in terms of like, it was a film that was very cannily marketed. Um, so like Hitchcock made a point when he made it to. He cut very particular trailers, which caused us a lot of trouble last week when we were trying to find the trailer for Psycho, where he declined to show a lot of footage from the film and instead showed himself wandering around talking about the film. Yeah, Um, and then I I wish they would do more of. Yeah, we've talked about this before, where modern trailers just show you the movie in miniature, pretty much. Recent podcast that uh, you did with uh, with Grace, yeah, was Get Out, yeah, and I think a lot of the point you made before the kind of spoiler section is like. Watch this movie w- w- without any expectations going into it, which of course is impossible. Yeah, because if, even when somebody says that, it generates an expectation. No, but uh, like, in, I had seen trailers for the movie and just knew everything that was going <laughs> to happen. So yeah, it, 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 even even with this movie, even for all of the pop culture um, effect it's had and the amount to which it's 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 penetrated, um, like consciousness yeah we we um you can still go into it and have sort of surprises yeah um in store 
Well, I mean, like when Hitchcock was doing it, he banned um, the two lead actors in it. So um, Janet Leigh and uh, Anthony Perkins from doing press related to the film because he basically realized they would spoil it. Um, oh. So he did all the press himself. He made sure that theaters, when they were screening it, would not admit latecomers. Uh, because he didn't want them... Oh, yes, that's right. Yeah, which is pretty cool as well, I have to say. Um, and he did it. So basically, he, and he also refused to film it, screen it for critics as well, because he was so worried about word getting out about certain plot elements and developments in it. These sorts of things must have must have made people think that the movie was, was terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's uh, like the, the, the actors, the actors don't, want to... don't even want to discuss it. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the critics haven't seen it. Yeah. And they're only letting you in if you're there perfectly on time. They're yeah. trying to make it harder for you to see the movie. The only person who will talk about this movie is the director. And of course he'll say it's good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but he won't tell me why it's good, damn it. Yeah, yeah. But it is. It's And part of the reason why it works is because it is so off-kilter and so weird. And so, like, structurally and sort of even, like, in terms of the movie that it starts out of and the movie that it becomes. Because there's a, there's a recurring thing we'll probably talk about a bit more in the spoiler zone. Where I think one of the things with Psycho that's really interesting is that it starts out as a different movie than the movie it becomes, and even the movie that, you know, most people know it as being. And the characters in the film consistently throughout it seem to think they're in a very different movie than they actually are. Yeah, yeah. Like, it feels like it belongs almost like a, a 40s film noir. The point where, like, Sam Loomis, the character that we're talking about, feels like he belongs perfectly in, like, this sort of post-World he War. He definitely thinks he's... He's, he's, he's a heavy. <laughs> yeah, because he's um, kind of... We won't give too much away, but, like, later in the movie, he's, he's talking to, to Norman Bates, who's one of the characters, and he's like... Some money, and it, yeah. it's like Norman is kind of like, what? <laughs> this is the way we have it. Yeah, it's it's basically he's doing like his Cary Grant sort of Jimmy Stewart impression, yeah, and Norman yeah. Norman Bates is like, no, no, this is not that kind of movie at all. Yeah, and Sam Loomis is like, no, I'm gonna push this. <laughs> yeah, it's like couldn't make it on Shark Tank, so he, yeah. <laughs> he decided to get the money some other. It's like. What? What are you, <laughs> what are you talking about? S- yeah. You got to set up that 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 cushy motel deal you got going. This cushy yeah, motel. Yeah, you got to have a diner as well. Yeah, because that's where the money is these days. And I think that's that's why it works as effectively as it does. And I think you're right that even today, knowing that it's it's like a thriller, or knowing that it's it's not the film that the characters think it is, not like a, a 40s, a 30s or 40s film noir about money. Yeah. I think that even if going that knowing in, it still has um, some surprises and some twists that work really, really well in the context of that. Yeah. You know, like it's a, it's a movie that is very hard to pin down uh, in, in a number of ways. And films that if it was released today, it would be it would be impossible to keep secret. It would be impossible. I think you couldn't release it today and it couldn't have the same impact that it would have because everybody would be talking about the book that it's based on on the internet for months before it's released. People would be leaking pictures from the set that would give away major twists or yeah. people would be sort of there'd be script pages turning up on ain't it cool news or or you know that sort of stuff yeah, i think you... I, f- I feel like a like a, a certain amount you can you can um it depends it depends on the i think i think the move the studios have a lot of responsibility when it comes to kind of um making their trailers i feel like we've seen movies lately where not everything has has been revealed. I feel like with Rogue One that um you you yeah, well you we, kind of you 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 watch it and we talked about this. Yeah, well the thing with Rogue One is they used a whole lot of footage that didn't end up in the film at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, um so I don't know if that was a conscious choice or it was just like they cut the trailer while they were still stitching the movie together. Yeah. 
but it did preserve the surprise a great deal. It did, it did. Um, so maybe that's the key. Maybe Hollywood should keep cutting movies right up until the second they're released. Yeah. That's that's how we make good movies, people. That's how we make good movies. But anyway, so we... Did, what Did you like it? I would did, you recommend I did, it? I did, I would. And I feel, I feel like with, with these kind of um, classic movies, we often look back and... and and there's a lot that we have to kind of like forgive them for and say, well, of course, the, this was like um, 1960 in this 1960 case. 1960 like and, 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 and nearly 60 years ago. Um, they're uh, like, for example, they say, oh, like a, a horror was it wasn't kind of it, it, it took you less to maybe scare shock, shock or scare somebody back then. Or you had or, the production code, which yeah. imposed limitations yeah, or you. you or, you had uh, tighter censorship bodies within the studio and all this sort of stuff. Yeah, or are there, there humor wasn't, but 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 with this movie, I feel like it stands well enough as as a movie you can watch these days and 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 appreciate it. Uh, I I guess on its own terms without without making any excuses for it. No, there are some bits and pieces where where you are like, well, if it was made today, like this such section would be tighter, would, would or be, yeah, 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 or they'd change this, or they maybe shift that a little bit, or they'd show a bit more of this, or a bit less of that. Yeah, but for but, for for the most part, like there there there's most of it. I I think I think work quite well, and 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 some some bits and pieces are kind of the recognizable uh, parts of old movies that aren't so good. Yeah. But so certain bits that exposition there's a lot of exposition in it for example oh, which, yeah, which yeah. is what which is one of the one of the hallmarks i think of like older movies is that they tend to over explain things i think we talked about this when we talked about it's a wonderful life as well yeah there's a tendency to for the people in the cheap seats to keep repeating yeah uh, information hope that it sinks in yeah cuz they're they're like, the the assumption is that these people are really really super stupid and maybe we should never have stopped assuming. I don't know. <laughs> of contemporary audiences. Yeah. Um, which is, is strange when we talk about how cinema has been dumbed down. Because we, we were talking about um, re, um recent episode. I don't know how recent, but uh, Gone Girl, where we were saying like where we were appreciating how um, it wasn't um, really spoon fed and yeah. there was a lot of room for like interpretation these, yeah and especially really problem <laughs> problematic really terrible interpretations yeah the yeah. kind of interpretations that use yeah. gone girl as a verb yeah 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 but but um we were we were we were kind of enjoying that that it was confident enough in itself to to to, to not feel that it had to explain in yeah, sort of clear yeah. black and white terms and to not have a psychiatrist appear at the end say, hold on yeah 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 we're, <laughs> lay we're, out the entire plot yeah you uh, we've We've talked about a lot of crazy stuff during this movie. Yeah, but the important thing to remember is misogyny is bad. The more you know. <laughs> Thank you, kids. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's a there's a bit of that. For example, there are there are parts of Psycho that have aged, but there are parts of it that I think, as you point out, have aged remarkably well. Yeah. Because yeah. it is. It's... I mean, like the the humor and the horror and some but not all of the acting yeah. and um even the tempo of it like the the sort of the the pacing of it the structure of the scares like i think i think the structure of it's unique i don't think i've seen a movie quite like it in terms of how it does exactly what it does with characters but i think stuff like for example um the the pacing of it making sure that certain things happen at certain intervals in there like mm. i think that that works very well and i think that it like you could argue that Psycho became the template for an entire subgenre of horror that is still going strong. 
Mm. Like that you can trace its lineage quite literally through to films like, say, Halloween, for example, which features a character who shares the name Sam Loomis with a character in this film and whose lead actor is obviously Jamie Lee Curtis, the daughter of, of Janet Lee from this film as well. And then through that, obviously, up through the, the Scream franchise or whatever. And I think that, like, Psycho holds reasonably well in that context. Which I is... didn't actually know that. I didn't know that Jamie Lee, Lee Curtis was, was Janet Tony. Lee's... Yeah, and Tony Curtis's as well. Oh, really? Yeah, which is um, which is pretty impressive. And wow. that, you've got that sort of connection there automatically because Sam Loomis is the guy who's played by Donald Pleasance. He's the psychiatrist in Halloween who serves a similar purpose to the psychiatrist in Psycho, actually. Ah. Except he's actually involved in the plot rather than just, you know, sort of neatly explaining it for the viewers at home. Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, I, I loved it. Would you consider this to be one of the best 250 movies ever made? Andrew? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would. Um, I mean, it's it's difficult. It's it's difficult to have Hitchcock movies that don't uh, kind of measure up in, that in respect, the yeah. 250. Yeah, well, I mean, he is one of the most prolific or one of the most featured directors on there. I think he's had 14 of his films appear on the list at various times. Yeah. I think at any given moment, there are probably about five or six. Yeah. Um, which is probably a bit low if, if we're being entirely honest. But, um, yeah. And I, I'm, not an, I'm not an aficionado. I've, 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 I've only seen a few. Like, even kind of lesser known stuff like... Well, it's not even that much lesser known. But because like, it's Hitchcock. It's, it's because it's a Hitchcock movie. But, um, like, Strangers on a Train. Yeah. I mean, well, even going back to, like, the ends of his career, so stuff like, say, The the Far End, you have The Lodger, which is obviously the one that was inspired by Jack the Ripper, but you also have stuff like Frenzy. And you have this, like, tremendous body of work which completely shaped the way. Like, I mean, the the French New Wave auteur theory owes a lot to the existence of Hitchcock as a director. There's that book, um, Hitchcock Film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Which is also very good. That was, there was a documentary a little while ago that actually used the, the, the sound from the interview between the two. Um, and it is like Hitchcock has changed the way that we like look at cinema and the way that like it's impossible these days I think to see a thriller or even an action film that is not that does not owe some sort of homage to to the way that sort of Hitchcock structured his scenes or sort of framed them or paced them or cut them or edited them. I mean, like even Psycho, like everybody knows the scenes in Psycho. We're not going to list them because you're, you're not in the spoiler zone yet, but everybody knows the scenes in Psycho and they can recognize when they pop up, even if we've never seen them. Even and if you've never seen the film. I wonder, is it too early to ask how how you feel this compares to the other... Hitchcock entries. Hitchcock. And, 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 and whether whether this represents for you... The like, best Hitchcock? Yeah, or, or whether it represents a, 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 a new kind of um, de- departure for him or, or, or if it were... Well, I mean, we could probably actually without because getting... I'm 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 as I say I'm I'm not an aficionado at all. I'd 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 imagine you having kind of been a fan and seen seen these movies that now I feel like I'm putting you on the spot. No, not at all. I'm actually more thinking in terms of I think it may be best to sort of jump into the the spoiler zone because I do think it that, might be because yeah. I do think that the way that this works in terms of Hitchcock's filmography um, is very much related to the themes of it and very much related to what I I think it's about. Which is, it's about a boy and his mother. But um, without getting too, too specific there. But yeah, so I would also agree. I think it belongs to 250. Um, is it my favourite Alfred Hitchcock film? It depends on what day you ask me. But it's probably in my top three along with, say, Vertigo um, and Rope. Um, which is, Rope is the outside choice there. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I've seen a stage adaptation of that. I haven't seen the movie. Oh. I, um, I, I, I I quite enjoyed it. And I, I think I think the... the um, 
how do you how 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 would you say the 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 kind of the dramatic uh, device of yeah. the movie? I think is very good. Yes, yes, it yeah. is, um, and it's very clever, and it's it's also a sense of like Hitchcock pushing against boundaries, which I think he did he did with Psycho as well. But we'll we'll talk a bit more about that in a moment. So myself and Andrew both said you should should you go should people watch this, Andrew? Yes, yeah, go ahead. Um, uh, absolutely. If you haven't seen it already, and if I mean, if you have seen it, I, I it's would worth rewatching. Yeah, yeah. This, um, this is my second time watching. Now, it. to be clear, we aren't talking about the remake with Gus Van Sant. <laughs> just to be entirely clear about this. Yes. No, we're not. We are, <laughs> we are not at all. Um, you know that Steven Soderbergh's actually cut it up. He's he's made a version of of Psycho that swaps between the two versions between scenes and stuff or even within scenes why um because steven soderbergh has stopped directing and needs to do something with his time okay um so he started doing fan edits of movies like he did Good a for you, steven he did like he did uh, raiders of the lost ark as a silent film and it looks beautiful really it works really well it's amazing because uh, it's it's like those old sort of uh, it's those old serials basically yeah, i can imagine that actually yeah. yeah and he did psychos which i don't think works quite as well uh but i sort of appreciate that at some point like because it seems like the kind of thing that's not like a 3 a.m. in the morning idea. And it's just like, okay, well, it's done by 7 a.m. I better release it on the internet. This takes a lot of time and effort. Yeah. I sort of wonder who's looking at Gus Van Sant's Psycho going, you know what this needs? To be stitched together with the far superior original version. Yeah. That'll make people love it more. Well, obviously, Steven Soderbergh had a lot of affection for the... The for Gus Van Sant. Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, so don't. Don't see the Gus Van Sant version. See the Alfred Hitchcock version. Is it Gus Van Sant or I? I'm like it's oftentimes on the podcast. I don't know whether whether <laughs> I'm pronouncing things right. I don't know whether you're pronouncing things right. Or we're both doing we, it wrong. Yeah, we should just have um, for anyone who's who's listened to 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 the podcast. We should just have a a correction a corrections um, a phonetic ep- pronunciations. Where are you, yeah, are we 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 can we can have a case closed as well. Like <laughs> like some people might have um submitted corrections and we can say no, you're wrong. I think we would very rarely say that with any real moral yeah. certainty. Um Gus Van Sant wrote in and said um <laughs> well, how would you pronounce Gus Van Sant? Um Gus Van Sant. I, I, I feel like it's an Americanized. Is, oh, okay. Is, is it not? I, I don't know. Spoiler zone. But, um, alright, so what did you make of the film? What is the film about for you? If you were to sum up Psycho... How would you do so? I think it's um, it's people's kind of fear or paranoia of like they 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 make it very clear at some at at the end of the movie where where um, it's this this person is uh, mentally unhinged and and but 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 he's not a transvestite which is something they do they also do that in science of the lambs as well with uh, buffalo bill where they have a scene in the middle of it it's in the book as well where he's buffalo bill is trying to make himself a woman's suit yeah and there's a scene in the middle where they visit i think it's john hopkins where they're talking about uh transsexuals who have sought gender reassignment surgery and they pause to explain that he's not actually a transsexual he's just a psychopath Oh yeah, um, and there's the same sort of. I think there's an element of that here as well, where it's like he's no, no, no. He's not. A, he's not a transvestite. Transvestite just dresses up in in women's clothes. He murders people. Yeah, there, like there must be some sort of playing on people's fears about sexuality, though. 
in it. And then they, they kind of try to get them off uh, <laughs> off, themselves the off the hook by saying, oh, no, no, no. Well, yeah, well, that is that is one of the things that I think, um, like when they're talking, you're talking about like that there. And I talked about like Signs of the Lambs and stuff. Yeah. Uh, when Fuller was adapting Hannibal, he was like, yeah, there are some there are some things I'm going to need to tweak when I'm doing this. Um, there are some uh even in the 90s, there were some rather problematic, sort of outdated, uh, psychosexual stuff going on in the background here. I quite like Red Dragon. <laughs> like, all that stuff was, was, was very, very... Very buried, it wasn't. Y- yeah, yeah. Well, it, it was... It was um... It was very upfront about like, oh the castration anxiety of it yeah, and all sort yeah, of stuff yeah. with the uh, yeah the, with the voiceover monologue and stuff. The, yeah, um, here is exa- I did like that about the Brat Retner version, which was like let's just put this in the middle of the film in a monologue so you know exactly why this character is messed up. There's a scene where his mother takes him downstairs with a rusty scissors and threatens to castrate him, just in case you don't get that there's a psychosexual element to this whole shebangs. Yeah, I enjoyed the I enjoyed the part in Red Dragon when Edward Norton starts like chastising his, his oh his, his own child, son his, as a yeah. yeah, in order to get at uh, at Dollarhide at the end. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's um it is very very good, and I think there is uh yeah I definitely think there is an element of sort of that weird psychosexual fascination or fixation. Yeah, like I mean, there's an argument that that's one of the things about horror in general as a genre is that it allows a conservative audience to both have their cake and eat it. So you get to enjoy like the, the fleshy parts of people making out and having hot, sexy, sweaty times on beds yeah, in which they're there's, there's a lot of immorality in this movie, but it's okay. Because, because everybody gets punished. Yeah. Um, which is the kind of thing. Yeah, it's, it's the have your cake and eat it. So you can indulge in this sort of weird, kinky well, it's or it's a double heightened... standard because yeah. the, the, like, it was always the case that like well boys will be boys uh, um, but, but girls will be killed for this sort of thing yeah um here's the thing though i and there's this is one of the things that when you talk about the horror genre i find kind of it, it's it's a hard line to walk with the sense it's almost like is it ironic is it serious things because there's a sense that hitchcock with psycho is sort of self-aware in that he's consciously goading the audience in their sort of uh voyeurism because, like, even the opening shot, which is the camera panning through the motel window in Phoenix, but even the way that he positions the camera so that you're constantly seeing the action from the perspective of, for example, Norman while he's attacking Marion in the famous shower scene. Right. But you, you see a lot of stuff head on, hmm. which is designed to put you in the physical position of the character doing it. And I do wonder if there's a sense of, while there's definitely, like, having your cake and eating it, if Hitchcock, sort of one of the things that works so well about Psycho is that he's candid and upfront about it. Like, he's he's putting you in the position where he's drawing attention to your voyeurism. Like, he's not just putting you on the sidelines. You can't pretend that you're an objective observer. You are, like, there to watch Marion Crane get killed, and you do so through Norman's eyes, primarily. Is he a very good murderer? Norman? Yeah. Is anybody in this movie any good at anything that they do? Like, the, the Psycho... I love Psycho a lot, but... Its characters are, like, completely incompetent at everything that they do. Yeah. Like, let's start with Marion, who who robs $40,000, but gets immediately seen by her boss on her way out of town. Yeah. Then gets panged with guilt, followed by a police officer, decides to swap out her car while the police officer is watching yeah. her. Achieves nothing. In doing so. Um, and then basically decides to turn around, head back to Phoenix and say, oops, my mistake. Or consider, what was it, uh, the the um, private investigator who manages to track Marion down yeah. to the base motel, goes snooping around and, like, gets himself... Went to 
I went to every hotel. Yeah, in like um, California. Yeah. Between yeah, between Arizona and Phoenix. Between, between was it, was it between Arizona and oh, sorry, Phoenix? Be- no, it was or did they Phoenix go as far as California? It was between Phoenix and California, somewhere in so, California. So a lot, <laughs> a lot of motels. And he he's gotten through a lot of motels in 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 a week. Yeah, because it, it is two weeks. It's a week after she disappeared. Yeah, yeah. his his eyes have gone neon. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I mean. But then he promptly gets himself stabbed as well. Or there's the bit where, like, even even towards the climax, Sam Loomis has one jo- job, and that one job is to keep Norman Bates distracted. Yeah. And he also manages to conk that out while getting knocked on the back of the head, which is like his Achilles heel. Um, it's Nobody in Psycho is very good at what they do, and Norman is a terrible murderer. No, get back yeah. Here. Yeah, because in, in, in the shower scene, he sort of... Um, clumsily hacking yeah so. yeah and and she's I'm surprised that she dies because, because it, Wait, it's you think it, it's a bit of a hack work there is it yeah it, it, it's um it 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 doesn't really seem like um the job has been finished at all well you know there's the the famous story that's told about the shower scene like we'll, we'll have lots of anecdotes about about how the film was made, but it's the story that Hitchcock... What's your favourite uh, shower anecdote? <laughs> <laughs> is that Janet Lee apparently after filming the scene, had difficulty getting back into a shower, and thus showered as little as humanly possible for the remainder of her life. Oh. That's what she claims. Now, I don't know if that's just like a story she's telling the chat show circuit, but that's one of my favourite psycho anecdotes. But back to uh, back to what you were talking about there with the shower scene, Hitchcock famously boasted that you could never, you never saw the knife break human flesh during the scene now well probably it never broke human flesh because <laughs> it's a movie yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well you know what i mean like there's, yeah. there's no sort of there's no blood splatter people effect. thought they saw much more than, than they actually uh, saw yeah, yeah. now to be fair there are people have gone through it frame by frame because lord knows hitchcock fans are obsessive and there's some debate about whether or not you can see the knife penetrate for a fraction of a frame or whether it's just a lighting effect but uh, yeah, Hitchcock's famous story was that yeah, you could the knife never actually could be seen to break what looked like human flesh. It just through a combination of the cutting and the imagery and the sound effects, which were I think made by slicing a knife through a melon, um, you got that effect in in sort of audiences watching it. That's the what's the, there is a psychological name for that effect with the montage, but it's basically it's from he he learned it from Soviet filmmakers as well. Okay. Um, I think maybe because because I had seen it before, I got the sense that okay, nothing has happened. <laughs> um, it was it, like, there, yeah, it, it was. There's it was, a knife in front of her stomach. There's yeah, a knife yeah. in front of her shoulder. It's a stage knife. Yeah, it's a stage. Knife. It looks like it looks like that thing when you see in police photos where they have it next to a body for like, scale. Um, the um, wrestling entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> you, you stop just short of actually hitting the person with it, does it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, kayfabe is that what they call it but um yeah no i i i think it's very effective myself no no i, I like it did obviously yeah. they, they, they were, they were, but i mean my, my argument about norman being a terrible murderer is not like the actual mechanics of the deed although um <laughs> yeah it's more just the like when he gets questioned he is a terrible terrible alibi constructor yeah they i like she wasn't here oh oh wait she was here but we didn't talk oh well, wait she was here but she came into the back room and i made her dinner I f- I f- yeah, I, I mean, I feel like it was believable up until the point where it was like, oh yeah, we actually spent a lot of time together. If he had just been like, 
Oh, she didn't look like that because her hair was wet. Was, was wet. Yeah, a person's hair looks darker when it's it's wet generally. And yeah, yeah. You you it, it, it she wouldn't look like she did in the in the, the photo. Picture. Yeah, yeah. It's a bad picture. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, Norman is terrible at sort of covering that stuff up. Um, yeah. I do love the idea though that at one I'm, at one point he's going to go to that swamp where he dumps all the cars, and like one of them is just going to refuse to sink because there are so many cars in there already. Because <laughs> yeah, the, the, the um that that was a genuinely funny uh, part of the it movie really where, where he loads it in. Yeah, he's um um he's after murdering Marion Crane. He's yeah. after putting her uh, in the boot of the car with she's, all her stuff. She's robbed money yeah. from, 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 40, her from her employer. Yeah. Her employer is like, I don't really trust the money to be in a safe. I want you to take it. <laughs> yeah. You seem like an honest, trustworthy person. Yeah, you're yeah. wearing your, right, your white bra today, so I know you're trustworthy. <laughs> yeah, It's when she puts on her black bra, that's when you know that things are about to get a little bit spicy. This is, yeah, the, the white, white bra, black bra uh, theory. Yeah. It's, of, it's, it's of, of psychoanalysis. Of, it's, yeah. in, it's in one of the journals written by the psychoanalyst at the end of the film. Yeah. Uh, he's got a great body of work. It's very insightful. But anyway, you were saying. Um, I What was I saying? You were <laughs> saying that she robbed the money. Um, yeah, yeah. She, 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 she robbed the money. She was taken away. And then something completely different happened. <laughs> which is great. Like, which that's what I really love about it. nothing to do with. Like, like one kind of plot doesn't follow out of the other. It takes you in one direction. It's like, how is she going to... Um, hide get away with this basically yeah How yeah she and get... it's like oh um but then they actually kill that part of the story when when she says oh i'm actually going to go home and hand and the money back r- hand the money back which ends that's part of um drama for her yeah and for, then she gets killed. for for the other people at home they don't realize this but yeah then then she gets killed and there's the the it becomes norman's story which yeah it's very very clever well i mean that's arguably that's when hitchcock said that he didn't want to let people into the cinema after the film had started. One of the reasons that he gave, he gave several reasons, but one of the reasons was that he didn't want them to miss the part of the movie with Janet Lee in it and think that they'd been robbed when they were told it was a movie starring Janet Lee. Yeah. Um, and that's also why he didn't want her doing press as well, because he didn't want her to mention that she gets killed off. It's interesting as well, because it's... Um, the people are go to see the movie and they think it's a kind of a movie and it's not but the people in the movie <laughs> also think it's a different yeah kind of yeah like like it's at the end kind of when all of this stuff is revealed by the psychiatrist it feels like the psychiatrist is explaining it to them it's like we just were looking for money yeah, we, yeah you and thought and you were I, in a film noir about money my uh-huh. sister what what was all that about <laughs> yeah. yeah no there's like that's one of the things i really like about it is the sense that there's a sense of it's like uh kind of 40s film noir and it begins like that because we were we were talking about this while we were watching there's a lot of scenes at the start with janet lee that are built around this idea of guilt and suspense like she's driving down the road there's like a spotlight on her eyes she gets you know a highway officer comes down and stares at her with the reflective glasses she goes into a bathroom she counts out the money note by note like there's this sense of like film noir sort of like Every little detail, something's going to turn up. She's going to get caught. She's going to be convicted. It's yeah. going to be horrible. She's sleeping with with a man who has a wife that he pays alimony to. None Some, of that is important. None of that turns out to be important because it takes a really sharp turn into, oh my God, this is a really creepy horror film. Yeah. It's like, um, and the thing is, the, the other characters in the film, as soon as the audience sees this, because when the audience is introduced to Norman Bates and his mother, like the audience twigs that this is a horror film. Yeah. But none of the other characters have that experience. So they continue to act 
like they're in sort of a film noir sort of like money swindle movie where it's like because people keep and it's one of the things people keep asking about the four or forty grand and people keep assuming the forty grand is the motive for everything that happens in the film because like it's the first thing is the private detective assumes that like Norman's holding her up for her feminine wiles and access to the money and then when the, the when the private detective disappears the sheriff assumes that oh my god he's obviously split the money with Marion and they're off they're running off together and then San Loomis is like wait a minute what if Norman killed her to steal the money. And then he's going to buy himself a fancy new motel. Mm. Um, and it's like, these are all sort of plot twists that you would, it's like they're trying to frame the events of the film in the context of like a, a like an old school, an old school black and white film noir, which is how the film starts. But the film is like, no, 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 no. That's not what we're doing, people. He, he as well was best friends with his mother, who is, um, <laughs> who is, this hateful, um, uh, like, like character who who didn't want him to be happy and yeah. and and was always like shaming him and yeah. shouting at him and all of these sorts of things because that's the version of her that he's he, that he's internalized uh, yeah that he's recreated so like what yeah what 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 what. What was it that 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 made him want to reproduce that? Like, I don't think he chose consciously to reproduce that. I think that, I don't think like he chose. Psychiatrist to... explains this <laughs> so clearly. No, I think that the psychiatrist made the point more that that was how he saw the mother, and then when yeah. he killed the mother, he felt so guilty because matricide, Andrew. Matricide is the worst crime, especially for the son who commits it. Especially for the son who commits it. Not for the mother who's the victim of it, but for the son who commits it, Andrew. Just so we're clear on this. Think of the children. Yeah. Um, but I do love that. Uh, so the impression I got was that he killed her, his mother and her boyfriend in like a fit of jealousy. And then in reaction to that, basically, he created the mother personality. But as a psychiatrist said, the mother personality is not the mother as she was. It's the mother as Norman imagined her. And because Norman was so possessive and so jealous himself... He imagined that she was possessive and jealous of him. He only creates the mother um, occasionally, like for for out of towners. <laughs> yeah, it's like a show. It's it's yeah, dinner and a show. Everyone in the town is like, no, no, she's there's, dead. There's, she's buried. She's, she's dead. Yeah, yeah, she's in the cemetery. You don't, you don't see her around. Yeah. But I, any anyone who comes around to the motel is like, who's that woman in the in 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 the room upstairs, pacing frantically or sitting in a chair? But, oh, I'm glad you asked. That's, yeah, that's my uh, mother. That's my mother. She's yeah. alive and well. She's not dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's still not dead. Well, this is one of the things I... Yeah, and one of the films... The film sort of, like, conceals its twist, rather. I think we've talked about this before, where films that have twists, like, make terrible... make Sometimes make awkward decisions in how they choose to conceal the twists. Because there's a moment where Sam goes to the sheriff. Yeah. And he's like, but uh, if the mother's dead, how come I saw an old woman in the room upstairs? And, like, the sheriff who was there at the funeral of Norman's mother is immediately like, oh my God, what if she's not dead? Because that that's designed to get the audience thinking, oh my God, she's well, not who, dead. Who was in, who yeah. was in that, that um, coffin? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, because which is if, very good. Which is very good, because if, if you do go the other direction, then the audience is kind of clued into, oh my God, it's not actually his mother. What if, wait a minute, it's him in cross-dressing, which is the ultimate, like the big end twist. Yeah, but instead you're like, oh, so the mother isn't actually dead. Yeah. There was somebody else in that coffin. Maybe 
maybe they were Norman in it and the mother killed um, the the man and some other person. Yeah, and and are in this together now. Yeah, like I do, I love the way that it twists and turns, and it twists and turns in a way that's still sort of like even if you know the scenes or the details, I think it it twists and turns in ways that are interesting. Yeah, but I mean, you're asking about say Hitchcock, and where this was in his filmography. Yeah. Because this was released around... Well, this was released in 1960. Um, it was filmed in 1959, as I think the plates suggest. But it was basically... It was off the back of... He'd just done uh, Vertigo uh, and North by Northwest. And he was at a stage in his career where he was sort of coming to terms with the fact that Hollywood and the business was changing. He's so, in a rich vein, anyway. Yeah. Like, were, were they as successful then as they're seeing now? They were at the time, yeah. yeah. And the studios very much, they wanted uh, they wanted another Hitchcock film in that style. Right. So they wanted sort of something light with, say, Cary Grant or Jimmy Stewart or something like that. And he was working on something with, I think, Audrey Hepburn. Um, and she had to drop out and then that sort of fell apart. But what Hitchcock was doing was Hitchcock looked at the industry around him and looked at the world around him. And he felt like he was becoming sort of like an old relic. Because at that point, Cary Grant and Jimmy Stewart were getting old. Um, it was like Grace Kelly had gone off to Monaco to become a princess. Was, Television was uh, taking the place of film. It like, was a funny thing, actually, like in the kind of late 60s where they, they were still making these sorts of, like the, 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 the studios when they were making The Godfather and The Graduate thought like, oh, there's something a little bit um, ethnic about about these uh, uh, main men. Whereas like in... In 1992, when, like, Al Pacino won the Oscar, it's like, they didn't give it to Denzel Washington. Um, um, they, 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 like, what, 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 was, what was ethnic? In, back then, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's now, sort of, yeah. But in 1960, they were still making these um, movies that were so... Um, <laughs> so incredibly generic. Like, old-fashioned. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, and the thing was, well, Hitchcock was sort of, like, he was nervous about this because he sort of, he was feeling like he'd seen a generation of young filmmakers who'd come up and been inspired by him. Like, so, for example, the French New Wave was coming up and they were very much influenced by him. Right. Um, he was very influenced by, I think, Les Diaboliques, the French film, uh, which was heavily inspired by him, but which was, was sort of much more provocative, perhaps, than the stuff that he'd done. So he wanted to do something a bit more, like, fresh, energetic and sort of raw. This is like going back to make an indie film after you've been doing studio films. And the studio was like, no, you're not doing that. And he, this, the novel Psycho, which was written by Robert Block, came across his desk. Well, it came across his his advisor's desk um, and one of his sort of proofreaders and one of his reader's desks. And they, they snatched it up. And Hitchcock sort of jumped on it. And he jumped on it because of the twists. He really liked the twists. So, for example, in the novel, you only spend two chapters with Marion Kane. Bef- Marion Crane before the before you meet Norman Bates and sort of she gets murdered and carries on Hitchcock thought that was a great twist but what he wanted to do is he wanted to do almost half the movie with Marion Crane and then sort of twist and that sort of stuff yeah and he also wanted to kind of push the boundaries of what was acceptable so he wanted to do stuff like to play with because he played I think with incest in sort of uh, films like um, what's the name of the Shadow of a Doubt for example there are incestuous sort of subtexts there and stuff yeah. like that but never to the same extent that they're sort of brought out here. Like, he wanted to be really provocative. He wanted to prove that he could yeah. direct something as shocking as... And I think it's important in a horror to put um, those sorts of psychosexual... Well, to make people um, uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, to sort of to challenge and to sort of to... I mean, to, the filmmakers challenge themselves as much as, as, as the audience. Yeah. But, uh, so basically... And he was, he was looking at television taking the place of... Because there's an argument that, like, 
film was going... And it's the same argument that we have today, where it's like, cinema's no longer relevant, it's outdated, nobody's going to be going to the cinema, we're all going to be streaming or watching TV or watching videos or etc, etc, playing video games, that sort of stuff. And at the time, it was... TV was coming up, and he'd actually been doing... He'd been doing Alfred Hitchcock Presents, which is great as well. Um, and <laughs> But he did... Because uh, actually, this film was shot using most of the production team from um, Alfred Hitchcock Presents. It was oh. written by one of the writers who'd worked on the show. Um, and it was filmed using, like, the cameramen and stuff like that and the lighting guys. And he did that because he felt like they could work faster... Um, and they'd be more willing to sort of push the boat out and go a little bit further than traditional film crews would. And also because they'd work cheaper, which was a big deal. Because when he yeah. presented his pitch to... Um, to Went really this... cheap by putting himself in the movie. <laughs> as well, yes. He pops up in a cowboy hat at the start, um, in the same scene where his daughter appears as well. Um, but there's this sense of, like, broken social order. And it is... You get a sense... <laughs> What if, what if he had put himself first on the call sheet? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> um... First person you see will be Alfred Hitchcock. So you'll sort of pan through the window and see. Yeah, the, uh, yeah. He's, he'll be the waiter with the he's scene. He's the actor Mary. who's getting paid the most. <laughs> because that's how no it works. Lines. Yeah, that's how it works. He actually took a massive salary cut for this. Instead, he took something like uh, he took a percentage off the back end, which ended up working really, really well. Yeah. Him, as you can imagine, it would. Yeah. Um, but he didn't know that at the time. And it was shot on a really tiny budget. It was shot on a budget of around about um, $800,000, which adjusted for inflation is now $6.7 million, which even today is pocket change. Like, for example, it's less than Manchester by the Sea was made for. Yeah, I was thinking that. I was wondering, like, is is that... Uh, is that 40, 40 grand uh, worth like three, half the budget three, yeah. three hundred and eighty thousand dollars or something around there? You probably buy, yeah, because they're buying a house yeah with that money. So yeah, it's it's probably like and it's 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 a nice house presumably for for that for that ostentatious Texas gentleman. Yeah, yeah. Now, I do like that the money is continually moving west. Like, it goes from Texas to, well, to Arizona. It's to in California. Arizona. Yeah. So, <laughs> presumably, the, the land isn't worth very much because, like, everything dies. And, uh, yeah. Arizona, where love goes to die. That's the state motto, right? <laughs> um, no, the state motto is um, Arizona enriches. Enriches. Enriches, very, very much. Is that E-N-R-I-C-H-E-S? Yes. Yeah. Not not Arizona, in riches. Yeah. Um, Surrounded by gold, the entire state. El Dorado. But um, show me the way to El Dorado. But they did... uh, So yeah, so he took this and he sort of wanted to do something that would prove that he was hip and with it. Right. And one of the things that I think the film is about, and sort of that resonated with me watching it now is I think the film is very much about this breakdown of social order because it, it's 1959-1960. You have this sort of generational shift taking place between the conservatism of the 50s and sort of the coming social revolution of the 60s. And you have that, like, the most controversial scene in the film everybody assumes is going to be the shower scene, but it's not. The most controversial scene in the film was the opening scene, the bedroom with... Um, yeah, with I would Sam imagine Le- so. yeah. Because they're they're two people who have just had sex, even though their hair is not ruffled at all. Yeah, those are not two people who have had sex. Or they've got very good hair gel, very strong hair gel. Yeah. 
But uh, they're they like have these kind of special kind of cones <laughs> that they wear <laughs> over their the heads, like dogs to prevent ruffling from yeah. the vets. Yeah, yeah. but uh, they're lying on bed in a state of undress. They're unmarried. They're obviously just after having sex. Um, they make not repeated... only are they unmarried, but uh, one one of one, one of, of them one of them is married to somebody else or is divorced. He's yeah, divorced yeah. and still paying alimony, and he refuses to get married, even though she wants to get married. Scandalous. And she wants him to come meet her sister and stuff like that. Um, and there's this sort of there is this tension throughout the film like there's this breakdown of social order so there's this idea like Norman attacking the family unit for example or the really creepy Texas business guy who's like hey I know how to keep things quiet if you know what I mean yeah money money I find you can't nothing quite as wonderful as money 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 can't buy happiness but it can stave away unhappiness yeah yeah. are you unhappy (laughs) he asks fanning himself with $40,000 not inordinately (laughs) She had great difficulty pronouncing that. Really? That was apparently one of the reasons they had to do a lot of takes that she scene. She says it so lovelily. So lovelily. Lo- lovelily. <laughs> yeah. That is why she had a great deal of trouble <laughs> saying it. But uh, yeah, that's one of the scenes they had to do lots and lots of retakes of. But there's this, and it happens. Why, whatever do you mean? <laughs> uh, there, there is. Like there, there is a time when people in in movies just 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 all the time spoke like that. And sort of like um, like not like normal people. Yeah, not like normal people at all. Like like the the um, the attendant who's uh, the the, oh, the, yeah, the, the second car uh, the uh, second hand car salesman. Yeah. Used car salesperson. He's, he's, I, I like the fact that, that he's so classy in the film. He's not a used car salesman. He's a second hand car salesman. Thank you very much. <laughs> But yeah, you thought you thought he was Robert Stack, the guy who did Unsolved Mysteries. Because yeah, because he, he, he does have, have that, that sort, sort of, of voice. gravitas to him almost. Like, Next time on used car salesman, <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the used car salesman you could trust. But there is that sense of like, and even in terms of how the film's constructed, it opens like a 1940s film. It's shot in black and white. Yeah, and one of the reasons he did it in black and white for several reasons. First of all, it was cheaper. Second of all, t- as a homage to Les Diaboliques, the French film that had been that had sort of been inspired by him, and he was now inspired by. Part of me also wonders if he was doing it in a way to catch the audience off guard because, like, obviously by that time a lot of films were in colour. He'd filmed in colour repeatedly to that point, for example. And uh, I do wonder if he was doing black and white there to, like, create this impression of, like, an old world order. Like, to make oh. you feel like you were watching, like, an older film. And then to kind of subverse it or yeah. to, to play I- with it. Because I do think we both had sort of an issue with the character of Sam Loomis as he's presented it. Yeah. Because he's very... He's very old school. He's... He does. He does have a nice line. Um, I thought there were there were a few funny bits in the movie. One one is where um, the car <laughs> is being sunk in a swamp and it doesn't quite sink. Yeah, and he's looking at it when uh, it's not sinking. Well, that's a great it... scene because you almost you find yourself sympathizing with Norman Bates. Yeah. Like in that scene, you're like, wait, oh that poor murderer. He's gone to all this hassle. It's it's like it's like that um, scene in Mulholland Drive, where you're, um, the man has has shot the woman and is trying to make it look like she's shot through the wall, but accidentally shoots somebody else on the other side, and and you're like that poor man, yeah. he's gonna have to deal with this now. Yeah, where 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 somebody is trying to commit a crime, but it's just not not, <laughs> not quite going, going their, their way, way. the yeah. way that they wanted to. The, but there there's also the moment where Sam Loomis is like, um, "Go uh, go get yourself lunch." It's like, "Oh, I uh, I brought myself lunch." And it's like, "No, what did he say?" Yeah, it's, it's like, like, "I brought my own lunch." Thank go, you very much. Yeah, well, the go going... out and get yourself lunch. It's like, "Oh, I brought my own lunch." Well, go out and eat it. <laughs> 
Francis is having man talk. Um, but yeah, there's there is there is a lot of that. There's a lot of sort of and the way that he he handles he handles Norman. He's completely unable to handle Norman because he assumes he's dealing with another like a heavy from a film noir. Yeah, like he just stands he's... in his way and he like shakes him. He's like, "Where you hide the money, Norman? Where's the money, Norman?" Yeah, at ta- at you times, thought you get away with it, huh? At times, he seems very simple. Yeah, like they, 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 um, there, there are moments where, where, yeah, there, where there's a certain amount of humor comes across. Like, like for example, he says to her, "It's like um, you should find so- yourself somebody else anyway." And she says, "I think I might." And it's like, oh, what well, way? You think something <laughs> like that? <laughs> That'll teach me to joke about it. Yeah. But there is there is this sense, and then there's this this recurring sort of sense of um, like characters who feel like they're so they are transgressing and stuff like that, like right. this like this sense of broken morality, and like the. But one of the things I really like about Psycho is that it doesn't play by the rules that you would expect it to. So, for example, like the character of Marion Crane, right? She steals the money, right? Which you assume makes her morally guilty, right? Which that's what she should be punished for, logically, by horror movie logic. In the same way that, you know, when teens are promiscuous, they get stabbed a lot because Puritanism or something. So you get, you expect that she's going to be punished because she stole the money. But the way the film works is she confesses to her sins. She sort of, she, she owns up to them. She's ready to turn around and take the money back. Yeah. And that's when she gets murdered. Yeah. Like, there's sort of a sense that the world doesn't really make sense. And, and that sort of plays out in a sense of, like, there's this recurring imagery of animals throughout the film, for example, as well. Like, Norman has this really creepy bird fixation. Like, he's lots of stuffed... Uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't have a fixation with birds so much as stuffing things. Yes. If you're talking about paging Dr. Freud's psychoanalysis, there's a really, really great line where he's like, I don't know much about birds, but I love stuffing things. Uh, and you're like, yeah, I feel like that might be the root of his frustration right there. Um, but there's there is this sense of like, because he's got there's even pictures of birds up in the uh, up around the motel as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like obviously Room the one and, yeah. and so on and so forth. And the fact that like Marion's surname is Marion Crane, for example, and stuff like that. He complains yeah. that she she eats like a bird and all that sort of stuff. Which it's worth noting the film that Hitchcock made after Psycho was. The Boyds. Very good. Which which is predicated on this idea of like the natural order of things breaking down. Yeah. In like the natural world turning against man. I'd like to see The Birds again because I saw that and I didn't think it was good. I don't think I watched the entire thing. I was just like, I felt like it was it was uh, <laughs> quite carried away. Yeah. It like, is uh, it's melodramatic. The, well, and, it is, yeah. yeah. It, it's the most divisive of Hitchcock films I would argue I am quite fond of it I don't love it as much as most people I don't hate it as much as other people do yeah. but it's the film that's the Marmite Hitchcock film because it's it, like it's too much or it's just the right amount this had just just the right amount of melodrama I thought what what made this movie very good was Anthony Perkins oh he's I thought amazing he had such an understated uh, quality to him that if it had been if it had been another actor like in, say Vince in, Vaughn yeah, or or like in in the mold of of those sort of over forties uh, or kind of yeah over uh, acting kind of um, like if it had been not that Jimmy Stewart would ever play that. But, uh, um, I don't mean Jimmy Stewart's great. Ah, yeah, mother, <laughs> boy's best friend is his mother. Uh-huh. That that could have been James Cagney. <laughs> 
It could have been. Yeah, but but yeah, there, there's something very... He, re, he reminded us of Andrew Garfield, actually. He did, as we were watching it. Cause he and had... I, like, I really want to see Andrew Garfield play, play something quite dark. Because he does, he has this sort of goofy affability to him. Yeah, and but, I, you 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 you'd like to imagine that there's something. There's a room full of stuffed dark birds, and frightening underneath. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting that you should say sort of naturalistic because a lot of Hitchcock encouraged Perkins to improvise, apparently, and so stuff like um, the character's fascination with the corn kernels and stuff like that, where he's constantly eating them or candy corn. Yeah, and um, that stuff came from him as well and stuff like that. So it is like, and he was. Like, Perkins was considered an up-and-coming actor, and it's it's actually kind of sad, because I, I suspect that maybe... Um, I feel like I've seen him in other things. I, I think I saw him in something recently. Was it Psycho 2? Or no. Psycho 3? No. Voiceover in Psycho 4? No. Okay. I, de- I know it definitely wasn't Bates Motel, because he refused to do that pilot in 1987, because that was just enough Bates. Yeah, I believe he found it difficult to get away from... The uh, persona. Yeah. Uh, but I do think that he was sort of hemmed in and typecast as a result of it. Yeah. And it's, it is sad because you can actually see... I see a lot of, like, Anthony Hopkins' Hannibal Lecter in his performance. Yeah. Particularly the scene where he's talking with Marion in the room with the birds. Because there's a lot of stuff where he doesn't blink a lot. He's very, very intense, but he's very quiet. And he's very, like, he's not physically moving a lot, but he controls the space very well. Yeah, and there's something very, there's something very much like like he's he's putting on the face of of um, like he's pretending. Um, this is what he thinks a normal person would talk like. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it is, it is, and I mean, I think, yeah, I do, because there is, the, as you pointed out, there's this se- psychosexual thing, which I think plays through most of Hitchcock's films. Yeah. Hitchcock having a recurring fascination with strangling and asphyxiation, just to, as as one example of that. But, like, there is this weird sense that, like... Because the first argument he has with his mother about Janet, um, about Janet Lee, is, or about Marion, is a, that, uh, you know, do erotic things in the erotic style of young men with erotic minds. And that sort of stuff. And there's a sense that he is repressed, as opposed to, say, Marion, who is sexu- more sexually liberated. It's not like, gross, mom! Yeah. <laughs> gross mom inside my head, thank yeah, you very much. Yeah. Or the bit where the sheriff is talking about, the sheriff's wife is talking about how they found... I can't believe you're talking about these things. Yeah. Or the bit where the sheriff's wife is talking about how they found, Norman found the body of his, his mother and her lover. And they were dead together in bed yeah. and all this sort of stuff so there's this weird sort of repressed sexuality sort of simmering yeah. through it as well I think which is, is very sort of and that's sort of like the, the breaking or the transgressing of sort of social norms I think as well yeah they weren't in their separate bedrooms well yeah that was that was the issue with the um, that was the issue with the opening scene because yeah. the opening scene was that it was it was in a they were in bed they're in the same bed because remember like even stuff like I Love Lucy for example they those married couples on television and film used to sleep together in different beds in the same yeah. in the same room, um, which was this sort of weird American awkwardness around sex and sexuality. And if people, if two people were having an affair, they would they would stay in different hotel rooms, <laughs> just meet for breakfast, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> carry on conversations through like, through the wall. I want you to leave. <laughs> I, want, yeah, I want you to stop sleeping in the same room as your as your wife at the moment. Thank you very yeah, much. I, yeah, I want you to stop sleeping in the same house as your as your <laughs> wife and start sleeping in the same <laughs> hotel as me, yeah. but not just the same room. Rooms. Yeah, not the same room at all. Yeah. But there is, there's this weird sense. But I mean, 
I know. I, I do. I also think that, like, Psycho, one of the things... I want to do what lovers do and play golf and tennis. And, and share breakfast anecdotes. Yeah. Read the paper. Uh, being silent together. <laughs> All these great activities uh, that 1950s couples how, enjoy. How do children get born, then? That is the question. <laughs> that is the question. One does wonder, historically speaking, how that happened. Because it, it Before is... gay birth. <laughs> <laughs> introduce sex to Ireland um, <laughs> I do like the idea that, that that he went abroad and brought it back it's yeah, like yeah, I've got this new thing BBC thi- for a while yeah. it's like what's this I've got this new thing they're gonna love it in Ireland yeah. um, but I do there, there is that sort of sense of it as well like there is that sense of like time, the times they are changing you know? yeah um, I do also like I, I mentioned it earlier, but I like the I like that you can tell what mood uh, Marion's in by the type the the color of the underwear she's wearing. It's like white bra, you know, sort of innocent. Black bra, what's, dangerous. What's, what's that, Darren? What is there something? Is there something for is daddy? There something in this movie for daddy? I don't know, Andrew. Is there something? I think there's something in this movie for mother. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there, there is. By the way. <laughs> Something in this for daddy. Uh, there is. Janet Lee is a very, very beautiful woman. Yeah. Um, and the film showcases that to a phenomenal degree. I actually, yeah, I have to admit, I... Your, 50s... man, your man as well. He, he's he's uh, like... Uh, Sam Loomis. Oh, he's yeah, pretty dishy. If, 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 if it felt like he was he was in the movie for, 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 for Reasons... that reason. Even though he had a few lines that he gave quite well. Um, I felt in, in general he seemed quite wooden and like kind of the sort of all-american sort of like to, yeah think, like like for for 1960 he's he's in he's in quite good shape oh yeah <laughs> yeah we talked about this this is like yeah he's like harrison ford body basically it's like yeah uh, yeah he's not ryan gosling but he's harrison ford sort of yeah thing. but i mean there is yeah you know that the the scene they actually the censor wanted him to reshoot that scene it wasn't the shower scene was apparently quite fine yeah. Uh, but they wanted him to reshoot the, the scene, the bedroom scene at the start. And he agreed, but he said that they'd have to come down on set and make sure that it met their specifications. And so what he did was he had the entire staff waiting on the set in the morning. The censors never showed up. And so he just left it in as was. Ah. Yeah. Apparently, he also argued that he would do that on the condition that they wouldn't cut anything out of the shower scene. Really? Yeah. That was his deal, which is, is kind of clever, I think, on his part. And part of me sort of wonders if he didn't put that opening scene in there knowing that he could use it as a bargaining chip. I, do, does the um, does the salacious um, stuff belong in the movie or like have a place? I think it does. I, I feel like it does when, when, when Norman is being a peeping Tom because it, it's to do with his kind of warped sexuality and it's like, oh... Um, his mother um, ha, um, that he's uh, imagined it, it's like his own guilt yeah. about his his, his, his repressed kind of, sexuality yeah, and his like pe- peeping and that sort of thing yeah you know the bit where the um, where uh, was it it's where the bit where the private detective shows up he's like I'm not accusing her of putting one past she's like nobody nobody fools me not even a woman and it's like yeah somebody has issues yeah somebody has deep seated issues but do you think that in terms of that the <laughs> Doesn't he say as well? It's like she didn't fool my mother. Like, <laughs> she may have fooled me, but she didn't fool my mother. Yeah. She knows. She knew. She knew exactly what kind of woman Marion Crane was. Thank she you. She murdered very much. her. Okay. Yeah. Just All so right, we're clear. Have a good evening. Yeah. Carry on. <laughs> Certainly don't go investigating the house. Yeah. Um. But I do like. I. 
I do think that this this stuff with Sam Loomis and with Marion Crane does have a place in it as a contrast. Yeah. Because I think it's important to contrast, say, their sexuality, which is, you know, frowned upon at the time. Yeah. Uh, but which is much healthier than that demonstrated by Norman. Because one of the things about it is that, like... You think... You gotta sit here and judge Norman Bates. <laughs> Can anybody sit here and judge? Are you laying the groundwork for an insanity plea? It's like, no, no, no. Sit down and listen. I've got a solid five minutes prepared on this point. Oh, yeah, that is that is one of the exposition scenes. There's also another scene where the private detective goes down to the the phone booth and has a conversation in which he says, "You know that conversation I just had with Norman Bates, where he said a bunch of stuff that was very uncertain and unconvincing." Well, I don't believe him. Uh, and it's like you're sitting there wondering if the audience is like, that Norman Bates seems like he's perfectly on the level. I don't know what what that the detective's going on about. Yeah. They, um, up until up until quite late, we're, we're left to wonder whether whether Norman Bates is actually has actually done uh, anything so wrong. He he's he, like we're because we believe his mother has, has oh it's actually murdered yeah and he's yeah. just disposing of the bodies yeah and if anything he's he's, he's a victim and and he's quite simple and he's 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 a a, a mama's boy oh yeah he's, of, he's trying yeah. to protect the the family yeah. man i mean that's one of the things that i think is like possibly sort of a theme or an idea that the film plays with and it's something that i think becomes a lot more common in horror movies after it it's this idea of like america or the like America as a we talked about this when we talked about the shining. But America as like a a huge continent that is something like um Is it a big penis there? <laughs> um no, that is not what I was about to say at all. Um but like the idea of the American continent is vast, so it's something like hundred and sixteen times the size of Ireland, for example. But like this idea that it holds secrets that are sort of hidden from the settlers, that it's got these little inroads and when places. When you're talking about something being the size of uh, something else you have to put it in in terms of either football pitches or whales not of ireland <laughs> not no, no, of... Oh, okay. no the standard measurements are like it is precisely 116 like one, ireland 120 football pitches are are it's it's about 350 times the size of wales i, li- I like the umbrage that you're taking at me using Ar- ireland rather than <laughs> wales as a unit of measurement here but in terms of like as somebody who lives in, in ireland just make these things up <laughs> it is 116 times the size of our country so it's impossible to get a sense of scale vast considering how small ireland is it doesn't really seem that big <laughs> Only 116 Only 116 times. Wow. Okay, so I just made the exact opposite point that I was trying to make. Thank you, Andrew. Um, but yeah, basically the idea of the like the continent seeming weird and sort of having all these long claves and stuff. Because there's this recurring idea throughout that the Bates Motel uh, is hard to that, find. That makes Forrest Gump running across... America, America seem, seem like a modest accomplishment. less impressive. Yeah. yeah. But there is this sense of the American continent as having these sort of hidden little turns and all the roads going to these weird little places, these strange American hubs, like the idea of the Bates Motel, where sort of Bates talks about how he doesn't turn the lights on sometimes. Makes no sense whatsoever that that private detective found that yeah. motel. Yeah, but it, it is like it's because he's, he's talking about how they moved the highway. Yeah, so, and the highway no so longer goes why by. Why was he not on the highway? Yeah. <laughs> why do you think it took him a solid week to get to Bates Motel uh, using that sort of mechanism? He went from Arizona to California and then was going back from California. But didn't want to go to the same Arizona, way. Yeah. Yeah, but going a different way. Didn't yeah. want to go the same way because he'd, he'd sort of seen it all already. But there is like, there's this sort of sense, and there's this sense, it's like, 
In Psycho, she starts in Arizona and she heads to California and she wants to buy an island. So this sort of idea of like a mythical push is westward. Is she going to buy an island? She's not going to literally buy an island. But she talks like she would like a private island. Yeah. So she starts like she starts in Phoenix, Arizona. I'm surprised drives... there wasn't a moment in it where it's like, of course I don't mean I literally... a literal island. I, I just mean... No, she was going to explain I... that to him over breakfast, but he <laughs> yeah, killed her first. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's, there's more exposition required. Yeah, there's a note there. That's um, the audience with a lot of questions. Yeah, they thought she was going to buy an actual island. Yeah. But there is this sense of like this this mythical American journey westward because you have like Manifest Destiny and all this sort of stuff. And you have even, you were talking about the bit where, where Norman takes the cars to the swamp where he dumps them. Yeah. That's the, the American wilderness literally swallowing up sort of the sins. Like it's it's this sort of idea of like uh, you, you dump it and it's never found because there's just so much space there. So much oblivion. And the car is a penis. Uh, in this example, thank you. And the, the America itself is a great big green vagina in this example, Andrew. Uh, no, no, it's not. Not everything is psychosexual, Andrew. <laughs> okay. But mo- just most things. But there is like the the Bates House. You know, the Bates House still stands on the Universal lot in California. You oh, can, wow. You can get like studio tours of it and stuff like that. Yeah. But like it's modeled on this old American Gothic painting from 1925, which is housed by the railroad. Um, and it's this sort of the, the painting. Let's 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 just show this uh, painting for our listeners. Yeah, let's just hold it up to the microphone. Let everybody get a good look. Uh, but it's this idea of um, a house, an old American house that's sort of been bypassed by modernity. So it has the railroad going in front of it. It looks exactly like the Bates Motel house does or the Bates house does. Um, and it's it's basically this idea that like civilization has passed this little pocket by. And one of the things that I was sort of wondering when I was hearing the sheriff, you know, the, the sheriff's sort of reaction when he's talking to like um, to Sam and to to Lila. And he's like, oh, you know, this is crazy. I reckon the private detective just sort of ran off with the money and stuff. Like, is he saying that because he honestly doesn't believe that Bates is capable of that? That like he thinks Bates is actually a decent sort and these out of towners have no idea what he's talking about. Or is he saying that because he doesn't want to know? Is he saying that because he'd rather sort of preserve the idea that like this small little enclave is? Yeah, like... I think I think a lot of that when when people when something terrible happens and then it's revealed that this person had like all of these like dead bodies and it it it, it, it is it's, uh, like everyone in the community is always like he was such a oh, nice man. Yeah, yeah, he seemed like such, kept it's himself. Like you're still saying he's a nice man. <laughs> <laughs> it's like. That's how. Um, That's how he got away with it. Yeah, yeah, and 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 you're just so blind to the possibility that somebody from your community could could be responsible for horrific yeah, action. Yeah, it, it's 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 the if he's from any community that any, wasn't yours, uh, that wasn't yours, you would like immediately, like you wouldn't make any excuses for yeah. him, and you wouldn't you wouldn't be so quick to. To excuse or to yeah. search or to rationalize kind of parochialism concern. where it's like oh he's accepted because he's one of ours yeah well that's the thing because i mean the, the sheriff immediately tries to blame the private detective and, yeah. and marion as out of towners he's like oh well they're obviously the ones behind it yeah even though one imagines like norman isn't exactly like secretive about his creepiness like it's not as if you spend you have to spend like a solid week with norman to get a sense that maybe there's something not quite on the level with this guy it seems like he play, he, he plays quite normal for the for the <laughs> for the for the people in the in, in the community yeah maybe oh well we don't hear that side of the conversation no, though we just hear the sheriff call you off and going yep 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 mother's still dead yep yep all right <laughs> just checking yeah crazy out of towners yeah uh, have you got somebody staying over there norman that's great. I'm glad to hear you're doing well. Um, but yeah, there's there is, and 
but there's this also the sense of nostalgia as well, which is sort of maybe ties back to what I was talking about there about the, the movement of modernity. Because there's the idea of like, he talks about how his, his dead birds, his stuffed birds are like frozen in time. And also just the idea of like, everybody seems to think that Norman wants to sell the motel. And I mean, you were joking about owning a diner, but the idea that he wants to sell the motel and move on. But like when, when Sam accuses him of stealing the 40 grand to basically to buy a new motel or to, to buy something else, he's like, why would I want to leave? This is all that I have. Um, and he just doesn't seem to get that. Yeah. And like it's the fact... like, is there something wrong with, with this? this creepy motel? Yeah. But I do... Oh, just because it's not one of your... Uh, well, just because uh, it has... Los a... Angeles... Um... Diners. Yeah. Um, but I do wonder if that's like, if that's like a, a point at sort of this idea of like a community sort of left behind or an area of America that's been sort of left behind and forgotten. Like that he doesn't want to move forward in time because he literally, he preserves his mother. He stores his mother with the fruit preserves, which is quite clever. It's it's a, it's one of the few puns the movie doesn't actually include in exposition. Yeah. He puts his mother with the fruit preserves, but he digs up her body. He finds a way of preserving her and stuff like that. And he even tries to preserve the relationship by keeping her alive in his head. And he only reacts to, he only decides that Marion has to way, die. to preserve her as well as he could. What did he do? Yeah, the, I get the sense, yeah. He put a bit of vinegar on there, a little bit of white wine, aged her. Uh, yeah. He, so, he, he had a... Um, a rich mahogany sort of, uh, a nice sort of Ronseal coat applied. He had, a, he had a little boy's book um, <laughs> that had a, a page or, uh, in there on how to pickle a human body. Yeah. <laughs> um, Embalming and, for dummies. Yeah, and the, ne- the, the, ne- the next four or five pages was different kinds of knots that you can tie. <laughs> <laughs> little normie um, yeah. Little, yeah. And, and and then it's like here are the different parts of a boat <laughs> yeah. oh okay you're going you went a different direction with that than I was going here's the here's how to here's how to cut a, an animal here's yeah. how to skin a dead animal yeah it, like it, it, could it be something that 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 you would learn in the in in the boy scout how to it's pickle like, a person yeah it's like if if um if you don't if um now now we've taught you how to hunt and how to kill <laughs> But and, let's say and, your mother dies on a stuffed an animal. Yeah. But yeah, what if you want to pickle a person? Yeah. Well, funny you should ask that question because we got the answer for you. But I do wonder if that's if that's like a comment because I do think that's like something that comes up in horror movies a lot. Is this idea of like these parts of America that are, and it's it's maybe something that's like political at the moment. But these parts of America that are maybe felt to be left behind between the coasts like on the way to the coast in California or whatever, that there's these aspects of America that have been sort of neglected or been allowed to sort of remain the way that they are or have been untouched by civilization, globalization, the expansion of stuff. Right. Um, I do wonder if that's sort of something that Psycho's hinting at because if, if it is, it's quite ahead of the curve. Because, I mean, the, the motorway or the highway that, like, Norman's talking about, those would only have been built by Eisenhower in the 50s. So they'd still be relatively modern developments. And they became, like, a staple of stuff like... Like, um, what's the one with the, the mutants? The one with... The, the highway that Eisenhower built that had the mutants. Okay. Yes, Andrew, the highway that... But the idea that basically you take uh, the... This is one of his failed projects. <laughs> it really was. It's all the way to the mutants. It's but... like... <laughs> What have you done, Striker? <laughs> <laughs> this Weapons X project was... has gotten way out of line. Yeah, um, but I do think that there is this sense of stuff. Well, you know, you know the one I'm talking about. I can't even. Remember. Oh, The Hills of Eyes. That's what I'm talking about. Right. Those sort of movies where people go down these highways and take wrong turns and discover communities. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre is another example. 
Yeah. You know, there's this entire sort of 70s subgenre of horror, and it, it retained through the 90s. I think The X-Files had a whole host of stories where people would take the wrong turn on a highway and end up with, like, a bunch of inbred hicks. Don, or a bunch Don, of... Donald Trump visited um, that what? that place with the with, with the mutants and shook all their hands and listened to them. They were a core and... demographic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they. They're the real America. Well, this is yeah. Thank, thank you, Andrew, for explaining the analogy that I'm sort of hinting at here. Because I do think there is a sense of that that fear of Middle America sort of creeping in there. Do you think? Yeah, it it doesn't really help to to, to kind of bridge <laughs> to treat them the, as well. yeah. the, to bridge that the, divide the gulf between like yeah. the, the flyover the, states, the left behind, and the elites. Yeah. is to kind of. <laughs> Present them as yeah. monsters, um, as mutants, or yeah. as people who dress up as their dead mother, yeah. or who run creepy motels and stuff like that. You know, there was a famous story a couple of years ago about a guy who ran a motel who was operating it as a sort of a voyeur's, um, as, as a big sort of voyeur's paradise. He, ran, he published... Well, why run a motel if you're not going to, like... Well, I mean, well, yeah, they're no longer money, money-making enterprises anymore because of the interstate system. But he, um, <laughs> yeah. oh, the so, highway just passed it by. Yeah, I mean, it's it's so difficult to keep like your your beverage costs like a ten percent and your your food ice machine costs working twenty percent. With all of the competition, all of the tax that you put on these things, you might as well just put a whole lot of holes in the walls and, and just start staring through them. Yeah. Well, this is the guy who famously he dra- he spent like twenty years putting a dossier together and mailed it to the New York Times as his like his treatise on human sexuality, what he had observed by peering through these windows and stuff He's like that. Like you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> he was, he was, but he was. He was. His argument was that nobody had conducted a study of human sexuality as thorough as his, and he wanted some praise. Thank yeah. you very much. Turns out people use prostitutes <laughs> a lot more than you would think. Yeah. It's like, well, you are running a yeah. motel. Yeah, these may, these may be skewed. I do. I do like that line in the opening scene where Marion's like, "These hotels, they care about you a great deal when they check in, but after that, they don't really want to know." Which I'm like, yeah, you have no idea of the motel that you're going to. Um, you could check out any time you like. Um. But I do, I do think that, yeah. I, oh, of course, that turned out to be all falsified, though. There was a big book published as well. The, the um, one of the guys working at the New Yorker put together like a little booklet about this guy's weird, creepy motel sort of uh, voyeur paradise, and even took him on a tour of it. And yeah. it turned out to be all all fake. Yeah, because the, 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 um, the person who falsified it is like he didn't, he didn't, he, he, didn't he wasn't see. recording people at all. I was, <laughs> and here's what actually happened. Um, I, I do like the idea that the guy running the sleazy motel with the holes in the wall isn't the most trustworthy person in the world. <laughs> but uh, he did also, I think, offer to put up the um, the reporter in the motel, yeah. which seems like an awkward conversation to have. So we've looked at all the peoples. Uh, <laughs> would you like to stay tonight? <laughs> Yeah, I do think there is something sort of fascinating in that sort of sense of... Because you don't see motels that much anymore, I don't think, in popular culture. I think they've sort of gone... You see motels plenty, mm. like in American pop culture. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah in... in um, Whatchamacallit? In, uh, there's there's lots of it in The Wire and... Are there motels? Um, True Detective and right. in... Well, True Detective I consider to be doing that sort of... Um, a sort of like historical pastiche but well, they're still there right. I mean and, and uh, Logan yes which yeah. is consciously like a western but okay but it, it, like it would be weird if they were featuring these <laughs> like, <laughs> in romantic comedies people using phone boxes and... <laughs> uh, in, in sort of motels like yeah that Reese Witherspoon romantic comedy with the motel very big hit 
Colin Farrell's phone box. That great, uh, that was a great story about Michael Bay when it was pitched to him. Oh, yeah. He was like, I love it. I love it. It's fantastic. I've just got one question for you. And the writer's like, yep. How do we get him out of the phone booth? (laughs) (laughs) And you're like, yep, that's the Michael Bay philosophy there. Yeah. Right there. Something that really um, deeply upset me about this movie, something something very problematic is the way the way she ate those sandwiches you like knew, a bird you knew straight away what i, I was knew exactly say. what yeah yeah it's just andrew food waste eating, Quinn. yeah they, like i don't like when people eat things wrong because uh, <laughs> norman bates had went to the trouble of preparing the like, ingredients I, don't, I, don't, I don't know actually it was partly his fault because if you're going to make somebody a sandwich make them the sandwich don't just bring them bread with with like. But cheap. that way they have the option of arranging a sandwich to their liking, surely. I suppose. So. But what she decided to do was, um, first of all, she started eating like the ingredients to the sandwich. So it's like now there's going to be less ingredients for for, for the, the bread for the bread that you have. So maybe you're going to be throwing some of that bread away. Or maybe you're going to be having some of that bread with nothing. People who listen to the Blade Runner podcast may remember Andrew's feelings on food waste. Yeah. <laughs> I love love Blade Runner for that reason. Yeah. Um, but and, and, and there's a moment where she she then puts some cheese. I think she butters the bread and puts some cheese on it. But then doesn't put another slice of bread on top of that. And... I can appreciate that from from on on some level because it means you're getting more cheese um, to bread ratio to bread ratio. But she's eating it in such a way that the bread isn't on top of the cheese to stop it from falling out of the sandwich. It's so she, it goes up like an L shape. At yeah, one point. it goes it goes up, and you're thinking like she's going to flip that cheese. It's going to land right in her nose. She's going to look really embarrassed. In front yeah, of it's going to fall on the ground, and she's going to be like, "Oh dear, I've I've spilled some cheese." And he's going to be like, I'll, I'll just get that. And and he's 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 he's, Norm- going, to, he's going to sweep it under 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 a rug. Norman might have decided that Marion needed to die when she said that his mother should be committed to a sanatorium. Yeah. Andrew decided that Marion needed to die the moment that she decided to eat cheese in that fashion. Yeah, that that's like yeah. When 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 I was watching that scene, I was thinking from from Norman's point of view, it's like, oh yeah, she's going to get it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the wrong way to eat that food. <laughs> Somebody has to die now. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that was that was that was that, that was, was, that was that, your big sort of uh, yeah. I really fell for fell for Norman and going to the hassle of preparing the ingredients of sandwich and then just sort of watching yeah. it sort of deconstruct. As I say, though, he should he should have he he should have actually pre- like well, I don't know. I mean, I can I can understand why he didn't prepare the sandwich. I can understand why she was having the sandwich that way. But it, it, it was it was it was all just kind of wrong. I, I like that that's Andrew's sort of barrier for wrongness at the Bates Motel. Yeah. It's not like the, the creepy preserved woman kept in the, the fruit preserve drawer or the fact that the host has conversations with himself while he dresses his mother. No. Or the spy holes or the peepholes. It's the, tw- or the, it's the 21st century, Darren. Or the fact that when she turns, I love that when she turns on the shower, the, the, the pipes make oh, a sound yeah. like the violin. It's a really cool. Uh, this also bugged you, yes. <laughs> another thing that bugged me is she turns on the shower while under the shower, which yeah, it's not the way that you get into a shower. <laughs> yeah, did, did she's obviously used that shower lots of times? That she knows precisely what temperature yeah. she'll get coming out of it. This is a shower that she used lots of times, and then 
tried never to use the shower ever again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it left such a traumatic experience. The, 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 I said a big problem why she never used the shower again was that she never found a shower that was immediately so perfectly the warm. perfect temperature. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the shower scene is obviously the most famous and iconic part of, of Psycho. Like, it's the part that everybody knows, the part that everybody mocks. So it's like it's been done in, in Mel Brooks' High Anxiety. It's been done in The Simpsons with Maggie in the paint can and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, it's interesting for a number of things because there are so many urban legends and myths about it. So, for example, you know that the blood in it, they actually used Bosco chocolate syrup. Okay. Because they were shooting black and white so the colour didn't matter. And Hitchcock had found that it had the right thickness and consistency that it could work in the water as it was draining. And he found that it sort of, um, that it sort of looked realistic in terms of density in black and white. <laughs> he, was, he was eating chocolate syrup in the bath. I like that that's the part of the story that you take exception. Not the part that Hitchcock was like, yes, this is the consistency of human blood. It's like, you know, how did he get the chocolate syrup into the water is the question, yeah, Andrew asked. It was, it was one of those beautiful serendipitous moments where... <laughs> where <laughs> Thank you for the mental image of Hitchcock sitting in the bath eating chocolate chocolate syrup yeah it was like his assistant kind of like sitting on the toilet like talking on the phone to somebody while Hitchcock was having a shower eating some chocolate syrup and it was like take a note <laughs> this is very important yeah there's also a debate about well there's several debates about it there's there's the rumor that in order to get Janet Lee to scream properly uh, reportedly the staff used cold water which they did not according to her memoir the water was always kept at the perfect temperature which explains as you pointed out her standing under it while turning it on um, there was also there's some debate actually about who directed the scene uh, because it's been claimed Saul Bass who's the guy who did the design he did many of the posters for the Hitchcock films right. so you know for example that iconic vertical one where the, the guy's sort of falling or whatever yeah. even the title sequence of Psycho with the, the lines that are constantly crossing each other um, Saul Bass argued or Saul Bass argued that he directed it um, which has been refuted by absolutely everybody uh, except Saul Bass and I honestly I don't think there's any crit- like Frank Ducks from 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 what was it Bloodsport he's he's uh, undefeated in in six, 640 um, mar- martial arts fights and was also in the US Armed Services So you mean like Steven Seagal Yeah 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 no <laughs> Well I mean the thing is he did like Bass did direct he directed a number of short films he also directed the movie and I lo- I'm just I'm gonna I'm gonna it, I, it doesn't have very many Walter Mitty stories then yeah. just the one just the one but it's a big one if you're gonna go for a Walter yeah. Mitty story go for a big one but also because I have this line in my notes and I just want to read it the 1974 killer ant movie phase four as well which is actually really good and it's a shame we won't get to talk about it but that's Saul Bass's one feature length directorial credit mm. um, but he did the storyboards for the sequence and it's been argued by his defenders that in doing the storyboards, he contributed stuff like, say, the decision to have Norman in silhouette, for example, as mother. Like, the, yeah. you know, the wonderful scene where she's showering and you see the door open. So there's a little bit of change in light at the door. And then yeah. it like it becomes a silhouette and stuff like that. And then it becomes stuff like it pulls the, the curtain back and stuff. That was originally in his storyboards rather than the script. And stuff like, for example, the scene of her pulling the uh, shower curtain down with her as she's falling, for example. Yeah. That's also in there. 
Okay. Um, so there is some well, suggestion. How, how you? I, 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 I would imagine that you, you, you also doubt. Oh, I, of, yeah, yeah. He did not direct it. No, he did you're, not. You're a hitcher, not a bassist. No, I'm not a bassist. I'm, I'm hitching my wagon on this one. Okay. Um, but I do think that, uh, yeah, and I, being honest, like Hitchcock knows that that is the going to be the most iconic and talked about scene in the film. Yeah. So there's no way in hell he's going to go, look, look, I did all the boring, I did the boring scene where they have exposition, where they have sex. I shot a scene where a guy in a phone booth explains the plot again. I uh, I brought in the guy. Phone box. Yeah. I brought in the psychiatrist at the end who had a big spiel. I did all that stuff. But you know what? I just can't get the, uh, the shower scene to work. Saul, will you step in? Do me a solid on this one. All right. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll do it this time. Just this once, Hitch. Yeah. Just this once. The, um, how, how do we feel about those, like, the, the, the moment of exposition at the end? I think it was great because it was so bad. Like it was. The, well, I mean, Pauline Keel, the, the famous film critic in The New Yorker, uh, described it as the worst Hitchcock, arguably Hitchcock's worst scene. Yeah. And it is. It's, it's a scene that exists primarily for the, the people sitting in the cheap seats. Yeah. It's like, in case you don't get that his mother is dead, there is no mother. He murdered them, even though he was in the persona of his mother. Um, it's like, how about we explain this to you for five minutes? Now, to be fair, the actor, the actor does the best job that he can do with the material. Yeah, yeah, I thought he, I, th- I, I thought I lo- he was decent. I love the fact that, like, when he He's arrives, completely unbelievable as a psychiatrist. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's just like, when has the psychiatrist ever spoken so much <laughs> yeah. and so authoritatively and so with such certainty? Yeah. Not like, not like generally they're very taciturn. And, yeah, and like, sort of like. Tend to tend to couch because it's like you know yeah. multiple personality disorder doesn't happen that regularly and it's like no I spent half an hour with the guy I know exactly what the deal is <laughs> um, but uh, also I love the bit where he's like where where um, Lila's like but did he murder my sister and he's like yes but also no and and then he's like but is my sister oh yeah she's dead but anyway <laughs> back to the fun part of this but I do love that when he comes in the police officers all sit down like because the police officers are having a conversation before and a couple of them are standing around uh, some of them are sitting and stuff but the moment the psychiatrist walks in there's like this weird mood in the room where it's like thank goodness the psychiatrist has arrived he'll yeah. sort this out <laughs> it's like let's all wait and hear what the psychiatrist has to say yeah there, there's, there's a lot of faith yeah put in the psychiatrist sort of uh, word of mouth but there is yeah uh, I do think that it works as well as a scene like I that. I enjoyed it because it was so bad. Yeah, but because it was so over the top and so sort of like you yeah. get the sense a, that a, a lot of the pleasure I get in watching these movies is watching kind of actors where they're like, "Whoa, what do you mean?" Well, this is the and old sort like, of retro you're not, stuff. You're not expect me to believe this, and it's yeah, where it's so over the top. Well, this is sort of like the old theatrical style where it's yeah. like where people sort of I don't think they had like naturalism in film didn't come about for a while because obviously you would have come up as a theatre actor and like in theatre your acting's the person in the back of the theatre who can't even see your face knows what you're feeling because if you want to make something hilarious these days you you just kind of like like um what's his name matt berry is very good at this sort of like mother (laughs) no sorry what was it yeah anyway sorry um, but that's sort of old-timey 40s sort of emoting yeah um Wow, see here, Bugsy. Yeah. I'm accusing. Like, you and he used to be buddies, didn't you? 
Yes. Um, with here is a statement of simple fact, but it's rendered with such force yeah. and conviction because it does seem like you're waiting for the psychiatrist to reach into his pocket and take out like a deck of cards or a bunch of those rings, and it's like these personalities are like these two rings here. But wait, oh, separate! Whoa, how did that happen? Completely solid. <laughs> it is. I mean. And I do, I do think that yeah, there is there is a sense of that. And there's also the sense of that in the phone call as well, in the phone booth and stuff like that. And I do think that like for all that we talk about modern movies dumbing down or whatever, I do think that they give audiences a lot more credit to follow. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I do think that uh, yeah, and I do think that maybe maybe Psycho is is perhaps sort of part of that in that like I think that it while it explains what it's doing as it's doing it, it's designed to catch the audience off guard. Like, it's designed as a sort of a trick on the audience in that, as we've said at the start, the audience shows up and they think they're getting one movie. And then a completely different movie arrives. Yeah. And I do think, like, that sort of experimentation and genre bending and stuff like that, or even, like, the fact that Hitchcock took a methodology that he used, he used on television, which, where television is, like... Even... Even the the last frame of the movie is them pulling the car back out because so many people cared what happened with that money. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> like, oh, but what happened with money? Oh, that's what happened oh, yeah. with the money. But that's it. Because even the psychiatrist, like even the psychiatrist, the end has to explain. No, not not to do with the money. Nothing to do with. Forget about the money. <laughs> um, money has nothing to do with this. Yeah. Um, I do like actually. I do like that Norman throws away the money without any any thought because he doesn't even realize it's there. He just puts it in the suitcase, loves the suitcase. In the in the boot of the car and drives it into the swamp. Yeah, because he's actually he's completely disinterested in in any of this sort of like shenanigans that are yeah. going on, and I do think that's very clever. I do think that's sort of like these days that sort of genre shifting stuff is very common and very expected. Like I mean, we I talked about Get Out with Grace, for example. Yeah, but I mean, even stuff like say Gone Girl does something similar where it sort of starts as a certain Still time. Can't of... believe you did the podcast without me. I'm sorry, Andrew. <laughs> I I actually wanted a break. I, I actually I don't exist at all. I'm purely a figment of Andrew's imagination. But, um, actually, one of the small touches that I noticed this time around is the conversation at the very start of the film, uh, with it's the office coworker with Marion, who's played by Hitchcock's daughter, I think Pat Hitchcock. Yeah. Um, but she talks about like taking medication for her anxiety or stuff like that to help her yeah. calm down and stuff like that. I do wonder if that plays into sort of the theme that we were talking about earlier, where it's like fractured and disconnected, where there's this sense of like. The film exists as a bridge between sort of the staid conservatism of the 50s and the more sort of radical, crazy, confrontational. And I mean, like, I'm, I'm going to be honest, I don't think there's a lot to this, but one of the more interesting criticisms of the film that I read uh, was that Nigel Andrews argued that Psycho could be seen as a response to the development of the atomic bomb. Which is, I think, perhaps a strained reading of the film. But he does make the argument that, like, it, it represents the breakdown of, like, narrative and civil society and, like, the idea of splitting the atom becomes this big metaphor for, like, all this sort of simmering uh, repression and this sort of, like, destruction of things that are, are almost abstract in the same way, like, you can't fathom what an atom is. Um, you have the family unit breaking down. Like you have, for example, Norman's father dying when he was very young and being replaced by a man who was exploiting his mother for money, according to, to Norman. And you have Marion running away and wanting to marry a man who's been divorced. So you have this idea of like the things that you used to... Sorry, where, where is this review coming from? Because I gotta... If, yeah. if, if this is like... If you're looking to watch a movie at the weekend... Go, go and see Psycho. It's about the nuclear bomb. Yeah, yeah. It's the most compelling study of the nuclear bomb ever constructed. Yeah. 
It, well, I'll include it in the show notes because it is it is interesting. Like, I, I think that there's, I think that interesting. Right. Like, I don't agree with the the substance of the the argument, which is that yeah, this is a movie about the atomic bomb, and his argument is that Hitchcock once described that he wanted the film to be explosive. This is in the in, in, in the, the Financial, financial Times. Times, yes, okay. which is renowned for its film critics and reviews. To be honest. But I thought that was like I was trolling through the internet looking for like the hottest takes on Psycho, <laughs> and I was like, okay, that one's going down in the notes because um, I feel like it's <laughs> like Google yeah. Psycho and crazy, crazy, crazy theory penis. <laughs> Harsh. <laughs> Harsh, Andrew. I like I like that I've become like the the shorthand for like Darren immediately goes to the psychosexual place in this. Uh, thank you, Andrew. It's like it, it was just like one time. And it never lived it down. <laughs> never lived it down. That time that I thought Jaws could have been read as a crisis of, of American masculinity in the seventies. Um, but there is like there is this um, like at the time when it was released, it was controversial. It split American critics, but British critics loathed it. Really? Yeah, and part of that was, there's a lot of theories about why that was. Part of it was that they didn't screen it for critics before it was released. So some people said that perhaps critics were sort of angry about that. Okay. Um, the American writer Andrew Saris, who reviewed it for The Village Voice, said that when he gave it a positive review and he described uh, Hitchcock as an avant-garde filmmaker, um, he got a lot of negative reaction from the upper crust New York readers, from the establishment. A lot of people were offended at that the, these things were being shown on film, like things like, a, you know, a character who was not a transvestite, but who dressed in women's clothes or like the shower scene or the graphicness. I mean, there's one of the famous statistics about or one of the famous sort of facts about about Psycho is that, you know, what's really special about the bathroom in the Bates Motel, Andrew? What, what's like one of the first things that's been shown in American film? Um, in that Bates Motel bathroom. It wasn't the shower scene. It was the flushing toilet. Apparently it was the first time that anybody managed to get a flushing toilet past the censors. Yeah? Yeah. When she's flushing the, the calculation that she does. Um, yeah. Down there. That's apparently, that was the really transgressive part of that scene. Look, look, <laughs> look at, look at these little bits of paper in the <laughs> they conclusively prove that somebody's been taking numbers away from or adding to forty thousand pounds forty thousand dollars i do love though that she sits down and tries to do the maths to figure out exactly how much money she has left thirty nine thousand three hundred dollars that's a figure that you could get by taking away from forty thousand. Oh my god he actually killed her <laughs> this is it we've got proof yeah. Um, but there is, yeah, there is that sort of, uh, that was one of the things that got me about it was that, uh, and there is this sort of, uh, yeah, there is sort of this sense of like it representing a break of the civic orders of the fifties, giving way to sort of the chaos of the sixties. And like, even that stuff, like the talk about the conversation about the pills that uh, Marion's coworker takes, which is this sort of idea that like, or even the, the, um, the Texas businessman who's like, Hey, would you like to have an affair with me? Possibly. I don't know if I'm married. I got a, I got a daughter. I don't care. You want to go, uh, spend some money. Let's go to Vegas. We should go to Vegas. Yeah. Um, that sort of stuff is like, yeah, well, this is things that we took for granted are no longer sturdy or reliable or, or like there. And there is sort of a breakdown of like, Hey, do you like the mob? Let's go to Vegas. (laughs) (laughs) The Rat Pack. <laughs> I, I, I don't know why they're called that. They seem like upstanding guys. Um, guises, if you will. But um, Or even stuff like, actually, in terms of structure. Because you were talking about this when we were watching the film. Because we were talking about the early scenes where she steals the money. 
Right. And the, a lot of the scenes where she steals the money go on really long. Oh, and they're yeah. shot unconsciously, like they're, they're long takes and long She's cuts. Counting in... out one, one, one hundred, two, two one hundred, three, one hundred, one hundred. It's like, oh, wait, I lost count. We've got to go back again. One, one hundred. Um, up until seven, one hundreds. Yeah. And I think that, like, then when she gets to Bates Motel. You'd, you'd imagine, sorry, you'd no, imagine, no, no. like, she'd go to wash her hands, but she'd do it in, like, the seven steps that they show you. <laughs> like, it's like. First, you 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 apply <laughs> the the soap to the palm. Yeah, yeah. And then 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 you 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 take your nails and um, dig it in and sort yeah, of expand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then then you rub the back of your hand and yeah. yeah don't forget the fingernails. No, not the fingernails, of course not. But um, and but then as as the film progresses, the cuts get a lot quicker and a lot sharper, and there's yeah. a lot less exposition. So I do like that. Yeah, because the it's the editing of the shower scene that's actually yeah like like for for modern audiences the 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 slow pace at the beginning is a bit kind of like why are they showing all of this but the way the way the way the pace uh, then heightens yeah as a result yeah is 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 actually uh, makes you think about how effective that is. Yeah. I mean, it's also, I think, Hitchcock doing that thing where he's like, okay, well, look, you think you know, you think you know where this film is going and you think it has a pattern and you think it's it's following logic and then it's like, no, cut, 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 cut. Also, cuts of people cutting people um, and so on and so forth. Oh, yeah, the, the man falling down. Uh, uh, the stairs. The stairs. It, 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 it... In that sort of uh, vertigo-esque sort of shot with the zoom and the pull back at the same time to give you the effect. Yeah, yeah. What, what... What what did you think of that? I thought it was a very old school effect. I yeah, think. yeah, it was very old school. It was very because yeah. it, it seems like he got stabbed. I actually I love what I, I really love the framing of the shot beforehand, where he's in the where he's in the stair where he's in the sort of hallway or the the landing, and he's just walking and like Norman dressed as as Mama Bates. Yeah. Uh, walks out of the room just casually at a quick pace he doesn't have time to react and just sort of stabs him in the chest and it's shot from this sort of vantage point like one of the stuffed birds on the wall and it's really sort of that's that was a scene that worked really well for me but then you get the bit where he's falling down the stairs and it's like okay now we're gonna put you in front of a rolling screen and we want you to act like you're maybe falling but not really falling Strange wave your hands about that though was that there were like stuntmen who would like wasn't Buster Keaton? Oh yeah, like, back in the day for like falling downstairs and stuff and doing insane stuff that would get yeah. you killed. Yeah, and 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 like surely they could have used loads of different <laughs> edits. Like had one edit of like somebody like like those little bits the of stairs cuts, yeah. in 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 the middle of the stairs where there's just like three steps. Or you have the quick cut or whatever yeah, yeah. between the two. I mean, you you could have. Um, I yeah, it's not the best shot in the film, and I particularly it's really weird because it seems like even though he's been stabbed in the heart, yeah, he falls back. Weird kind of and um, oh sorry, and in the head as well. He, he has, he has head. this uh, yeah, but he manages to stay standing while stumbling backwards down a set of stairs. I couldn't do that without a stab wound in my head. No. It's quite remarkable that he manages to get to the bottom of the stairs before he falls down. He, like, it's like he had some kind of supernatural... Balancing of, ability. Yeah. And it's like the world lost one only, of its great balancers together. discovered it, yeah. In those final seconds. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I do love the shot of Norman coming out of the room because it's, it looks almost like something from a video game like The Sims. I like that she, um, or he, um, actually, like, finishes him off as well. Like, yeah. Gets gets on top. Oh, this is the thorough sort of the person, yeah. and, and and stabs thorough stabs down, yeah. rather than like slashing kind of across and yeah. 
Andrew feels the same way about people wastage as he does about food wastage. Yeah, if if you're going to murder somebody. (laughs) You feel like the the Marion, the murder of Marion was a bit sort of sloppy and sort of a bit sort of, you know. She was left kind of like, I feel like she could have probably like created (laughs) an um, embarrassing scene. No, that, 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 um. She could have fashioned a tourniquet from the. She could have fashioned a tourniquet from from the the shower shower curtain and yeah, yeah. This is this is the updated version of Psycho. Um, yeah, Marion's she was revenge. alive for quite a while. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, apparently, they had lots of cuts where um, Janet Lee blinked. Well, she like when when her head was on the on the tile floor. On the tile a long floor, take, yeah. you expect that she's dead, but it's quite clear that she's not because she's still breathing a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Her yeah. her head is moving and stuff. Yeah, which is kind of more horrifying, I think, for that. Yeah, because it's like yeah. It's not. Oh, she died slowly. Yeah, which is that that conversation that the the cut to where Sam Loomis is working and the woman studying the ant killer, and she has that line where she's like, "Well, it does it says it kills everything, but does it cause them pain? Because I don't believe that anything deserves pain, be it ant or be it human." And you have that sort of then at the end you have. Is she the ornithologist from the birds? No, I <laughs> different actors. Different actors possibly, but there's the same with. Um, at the very end where Norman's mother's having the internal monologue about the fly. Where it's like, wouldn't hurt a fly. Um, and I do think that that is, uh, I do wonder if that's sort of like playing into the idea of birds and stuff and this sort of broken down sort of system where people are worse than, people are basically, you know, at the subject of random whims of fate and all this sort of stuff. And, you know, they're all going to die. Some of them will die painfully. Some of them will die painlessly. It's, it's a pretty terrible world. It's almost nihilistic. That's true. So, we're all howling and dying howling and dying into the bleak emptiness of our souls that's what darren always says yeah you know me mr positivity yeah yeah so psycho currently ranks 34th uh, on the list of best movies ever made which is quite impressive yeah uh, it is directly above charlie chaplin city lights and directly below casablanca which is actually quite interesting because there's a it's a nice run of kind of classic films uh, sort of in there in the in the sort of 30s yeah so then directly like, above it you hit interstellar and directly below it you hit the green mile but uh you know sort of there there's a nice sort of collection of classics like i liked interstellar but i i, I don't like anne hathaway but then again like there <sighs> there there are people in psycho that that i wasn't mad about <laughs> like either. sam loomis like sam loomis yeah the um there, there's a few strange ones like american history x we, we were talking about this recently it's number thirty-one, so it's like three spaces above Psycho, which which is a bit nutty. Yeah. But it's it's kind of that sort of nineties bias that that yeah that people we, who came of age. Like I mean, like so yeah. was Saving Private Ryan and Spirited Away, for example. Because American also... History X is almost like not a very good movie at all. I'm if you like... if you've seen some of the deleted scenes. Oh yeah, well we've we talked about this quite a bit. Bad. They were proper bad. That's why they're deleted, Andrew. Yeah. Um, Edward Norton was locked in the booth in the director's booth for quite in the editing bay for quite he was a while. Locked. He was. No, he, to keep the actual director out. Yeah, I mean, yeah. What, what, what are we talking about? <laughs> Does it belong <laughs> to be is uh, it, number Is that 34? the right place? Like, Do you think it's better than Raiders of the Lost Ark, for example? Or Rear oh, Window, yeah, actually, for yeah, the Hitchcock? Yeah. Is it the highest-ranked Hitchcock film? I believe it is the highest-ranked Hitchcock film. Which I would probably agree with, actually. It's, uh, it's certainly higher than... Uh, Rear Window is next, I think, and then Vertigo is after that as well. Okay. Um, so I can sort of... I can see that. Um, I would uh, actually, yeah, being honest, I think it's much better than the Rear Window. I would say it's 
one of my favourites along with along with Vertigo and along with right up there with Rope. Awesome. Yeah, I I I'd say it's definitely better than Raiders of the Lost Ark. But I probably oh. I probably need to watch that again. Alright. The Green Mile is one that always surprises me. I'm always astounded by it. Like I like the Green Mile, but I'm not sure. Actually, it's hold on. Raiders of the Lost Ark, maybe that's the one that I like. That's the very first one. Uh no. Okay. Um so we're quite happy with our discussion. Controversially I'd argue it's better than Casablanca. Yeah? I would argue it's better than Casablanca. But I I'm not the biggest fan of Casablanca. No. No. Frankly, it doesn't amount to a hill of beans in this world, Andrew. Come at me, internets. Do you be interested to see some of these Charlie Chaplin movies? Because I haven't seen them since they used to show them on telly kind of in the early 90s yeah. a, a lot of the time. I used to watch them and enjoy them. Um, yeah. Well, the, the stunt work is amazing. Mo- modern it? Times and City Lights, City Lights as well. They're, direct, are, they're sort of below Psycho as well, which yeah. is very, very good. But uh, so I think we're relatively happy with where it's positioned on that uh, on that list. Then, yeah, I mean, um, like I, I have more of a qualm with some of the things around it. Yeah. Um. Then, then with it itself. Yeah, yeah. So that might like we'll never be happy, completely happy. Yeah. But we'll sort of take a look then. Will we wonder? Uh, let's take a look at the In and Out chart. It's not what you think. It isn't. It's also not what the psychiatrist at the end of uh, Psycho thinks what it is either. What we're going to do is we're going to take a look. It's been a while since we've done this. So let's take a look at what co- what's come into the list and what's gone out of the list. So let's start with what's gone out of the list in the past uh, couple of weeks since we last recorded together. Um, the Imitation Game has gone out. which is Again. Again. Don't worry. It'll be back sooner or later. Song of the Sea has gone out. Again. again. But we, we yeah. talked about that. It was in for St. Patrick's Day. We've covered it. We've covered I hope it. we get to do Kind Hearts and Coronets. I do. That's well, one. That's one that likes to come in and out. That tends to pop in and out of the chart, and then finally, Sin City trailed out. And Sin City is probably a surprise there because Sin City is the one that sort of had the highest peak and the short, and the longest fall. In that it's it's been on the two fifty since it was Whoa. released in January two thousand and five. So it's been on there for twelve years. At its peak, it got to number fifty-seven. It actually went up as well. I guess with DVD sales, it would have. Yeah, it would have gone up. Um, it actually peaked in February two thousand and six on the list, which yeah. is quite remarkable. Because what we find is most movies like tend a to come year in, later. Yeah, tend to come in. They rise over a couple of days and then they fall very, very sharply. Like that's that's what happened with say Manchester by the Sea. That's what happened with Logan. This one actually came in, fell, and then rose. And then rose. Yeah, so it came in and around then slowly ninety-six, fell. and then sort of slowly eroded. You should see these charts people well don't worry they're they're included in the show notes um they're quite useful for this sort of thing so it is like sin city is the one that i'm surprised to see go and sin city is the one of those that i reckon won't be popping back in and out so we've lost three films what three films have we gained but we've we've gained one modern film that we've actually talked about here uh but we've also gained beauty and the beast the 1991 version of the film the classic disney animated film version um, I wonder what could possibly have pushed that back to the attention of pop culture and got it into this list at this moment in time. Do you have any ideas, Andrew? Well, I think um, there's... Uh, I, I believe Jessica Fletcher is, 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 is still has her adventures in um, Murder, She Wrote. And which, that's clearly where the, the popularity push is coming from. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I think it's people who, who see... Um, I can never... I, I, I can never. Um, I can. I can. I can always either either think of Jessica Fletcher, who's the name of the character, or um, Angela Lansbury. Angela Lansbury is yeah. All the uh, Angela Lansbury lovers um, 
wanted to 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 they see sort of what, what else Angela Lansbury has done, and then they sort of block voted. They saw Beauty and the Beast, and they sort of they they went for it because Beauty and the Beast has had a bit of a storied history. It's been it's been in it's and a out story as old as time. Yeah, and a storied history as old as time as well. It's been in and out quite a bit over the years. So, like for example, it was completely. Was off- that even a, a a Beauty and the Beast reference that I? That I you did, I you did, yeah, good, you, you nailed it. Um, but it is also an Angela Lansbury reference as well because she's the one who sings it in the middle of the film. Yeah. But it's been um, it disappeared from the list for an extended period between two thousand five and two thousand eleven, and since then it's been sort of jostled in and out the bottom of the chart. I'll be interested to see how long it stays because I suspect its popularity has been boosted by the release of the live action Disney adaptation. No one boosts like Gaston. <laughs> I love Gaston. Luke Evans is actually the best thing about the uh, the remake. I, yeah, I like um um. I I, I have you seen the remake? I don't know why these live action Disney movies are are, are getting made because it feels like the animated ones are so timeless. Yeah. That that and 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 they have this thing where they can just release them from the vault. So yeah. it's like they're It's like uh, a limited edition bring, release. bringing out a new movie almost. It, it is, but part of it's also the fact that like like in the same way we talked about this when we did um what was it? Um uh, It's a Wonderful Life. Where you have this bias that young people don't like to watch black and white films these days i suspect you're reaching a point where due to computer animation kids don't want to watch classically animated films anymore and i suspect there's also just a modernity bias as well in that like if it's new and exciting go to the cinema and see it and you also at the same time you get that nostalgia factor as well because you get i know a lot of people my age uh, particularly women who are very very eager to see the remake of beauty and the beast if only because it's an excuse to go to the cinema and see a beauty and the beast film that's modeled on the disney adaptation okay like m- more than any other film that's been released this year beauty and the beast has been one where people have asked me what i thought about it which is, is very very strange because it's uh like one would imagine like the answer is quite clear the answer is go and watch the animated film again it's it's a, re- a live action remake of the animated film with 40 minutes of Oh my god, what if the Beast's father was horrible to him? And what happened to Belle's mother? Questions that nobody really cares about. No. But they have to be there to pad the movie out to two hours. Plus Emma Watson. Is she... She's not... She's... I'm sure she's a very good person. She's a very good... She's an admirable young person. But she's not a great... absolutely. 100%. But she's not a great lead. No. No. She's not. And Dan Stevens spends most of the film buried under CGI as well, so he doesn't get to make much of an impression. Um, like the the real star of the show is Luke Evans as Gaston, um, and like you come out of the live action adaptation of Beauty and the I Beast. I do like Luke Evans. I've 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 seen him in um, uh, the, what is it? The Fast, Fast and the, the Furious. Furious. Yeah. Really? Yes. Where he's Jason Statham's <laughs> little brother. Yes. Yeah. I like that. That's where. Although, you'd... like, I I didn't love him as much as I love Jason Statham. Obviously, <laughs> <laughs> a little love for. Um, <laughs> But he did no. I, I, he was very good in High Rise. If you saw High Rise last year from okay. uh, Ben Wheatley as well. Anyway, so what else has come in? Whatever happened to Baby Jane? Oh. is back on the list, which is great. I actually, yeah, this this is kind of um, it's it's in in some ways kind of similar to Psycho in that in that kind of like creepy kind of like person upstairs sort of yeah, yeah. sort of way. It's also I think I suspect part of the reason that it's it's come back in recently is because it's uh the subject of Ryan Murphy's TV series Feud. They're doing the first season of that and they've got Jessica Lang and they've got Susan Sarandon starring as Betty Davis and Joan Crawford and it's about the making of whatever happened to Baby Jane. So I wonder if that's prompting people to check out the original film because it it has been 
in and out a couple of times over the years. It was last in, in say, around about uh, April, May uh, in 2016. And it's sort of, it shot back in here in March and it's just, it's actually climbed quite a bit all the way up to a high of 242 and it's now at 243. So it's kind of, uh, it is kind of, it's a nice example of the list being sort of dynamic and responding to things that are not necessarily new movies, but things that I think are in the popular consciousness a bit, no? No, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I'm conscious when we're, when, when, when we're entering the, the in and out chart, that, that, that we, we, talk should, to... we, sh- we should be asking people to get out their workbooks. And sort of figure out the maths of this. I, yeah. There are a lot of figures that follow. Fill, fill in the, the... the Follow us along. Um, draw an arrow. Whoever can draw the graph. Yeah, whoever can draw the graph. 221. Yeah, this is your bingo. Who's got yeah. their uh, Who's got their in-out chart bingo this week? Yeah, no, I, I am I am cognizant of that. <laughs> no, I like it. I, 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 I want... You want like, more hard numbers in your movie podcast, damn it. Yeah, like Le, Le, um, La Vida Bella. Um... Went to, went to rank 25, up one. It was previously at number 26. Which is currently occupied by the usual suspects. Which went down one from 25. Logan's having a bit of a bad month. He's dropped 24 places. And he is now currently at uh, 60, 60, 64. No idea what we're doing. I have no idea what we're doing either. Psycho that we just uh, spoke about. No. Up one point. Um, and then finally, the last new entry in the past month is one that we have talked about in the podcast. It's Get Out. Yes. Um, or I have talked about in the podcast because yeah, I'm a yeah. horrible co-host. We we were we <laughs> we we were uh, we were just talking about this before before uh, before was uh, it before we recorded Psycho? No, it was it, after we watched Psycho, Psycho before we recorded. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, yeah, so no, it's 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 in as well, and it seems to have stabilized. Like a lot of the films that come into the chart tend to drop quite quickly um it's get out has risen and sort of fallen but it's sort of stabilized higher than it came in which is quite yeah. impressive i mean there's nothing safe about being in the 200 no kind of, yeah no but but it seems to have stabilized relatively well like it's it's a lot more stable than say la la land where's or... la la land gone now actually where's la la land gone yeah uh, la la land is currently hopping around uh 78 yeah, so it's so lower it's, than logan it's kind of yeah it feels like it's like it's been out a while and it's still kind of in the top 100 which is pretty good like i mean we can see it there it's it's got a sort of a staggered descent almost yeah like we said i figured it would stop somewhere in the 60s um so obviously we're past that now but it seems to have stabilized around the 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 high 70s i suspect maybe the mid 80s will be where it'll stop and be sort of there for a little while Mm. but um and here we are talking about numbers again. Fantastic. <laughs> let's let's talk about the one number that everybody wants to talk about, which is the number of the movie that we will be talking about uh, next week. That's right. I'm excited. Because it's been a long time, actually. It's been a while. It's been a long, long time. Because basically the um, the list was changing so dynamically that between... Oh dear, we're, we're doing the minus... Uh, uh, we're doing the bottom 100 as well, aren't we? You designed that last time. Yeah, um, that's once right. they're in, we can't take them out, unfortunately. <laughs> no, not until we've dropped on one. Yeah, yeah. but um, so yeah, but yeah, it's been a while since we've we've done this. So this is actually something I'm very very excited to see how this goes. Andrew, would my lovely assistant here like to push the proverbial button? Random number generator, twist, twist, twist. Show us a movie on the list. And it's number twenty-seven. Which is for the first time we've landed on a movie that we've already covered. So uh, we the other professionals. So we have to we have to we have to turn the the, the random uh, number generator again. Unless does you want to have just, enough juice. I think. Hold on. Let me just 
recalibrate and rework yeah, the, the flux capacitor here. Um, I feel like this is just increasing the odds of us landing on a terrible movie, Andrew. I feel like, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's just rerun Leon next week. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Twist again. Like you did last summer? Like we did last summer. That's manageable. That looks like a perfectly serviceable uh, serviceable number we've got there. So we have number 92, which is Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey. That's right, Dan. You excited? I'm very, very excited. So let's whip up the trailer and see what we're in for next week. just played the trailer there which i'm sure played very very well for those people listening at home um mostly being a selection of classical music um what did you make of the trailer andrew i i i I liked it 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 kind of captured the um the the, mood the scope and the 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 majesty of 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 the movie and yeah and and some of the mood but not not so many, not so many. Away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, because there's, there's very it's little in dialogue. space and it captures how kind of um, vast um, it is. Yeah. Well, it ends with a quote from Time magazine calling it the most dazzling visual happening in cinema, uh, which I think is captured in the trailer, which is very hard to convey on an audio podcast. <laughs> so if you do get a chance, we recommend searching for it. Yeah, uh, we, we, we have our top 250 podcasts of all time podcasts uh, that that translates very well into the audio medium yeah um, as opposed to an actual movie unfortunately but anyway so with that in mind I think we'll sort of wrap up here yeah um, Andrew what are you up to oh I'm not up to much aside from this I'd, I, um, I'd like to plug um, a another podcast um, that I've been listening to that I quite like is the Handsome Rambler it's uh, uh, Hannibal, Hannibal, Hannibal Burris yeah, yeah. He's great. I really, really like him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he's, um, he's, he's. We, 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 we could learn a lot from. from... About how about how to be handsome and about how to ramble. <laughs> um, he's got a lot to teach us. Yeah, he really, really does. Um, 
cool. Um, and we can find you on Twitter at O A Q U I N N I U Q A, which is a palindrome. Cool. You can find me at Darren underscore Mooney. Um, you can follow the podcast at the two fifty. Um, and you can listen to us on Stitcher or iTunes. Um, you can also subscribe to our RSS feed. Um, and you can find us anywhere where good podcasts are available. Darren, Darren has a book coming out. I do indeed. It won't be out until November. It's it's a book on the X Files. So if you pre-order, liked, it, right? You can indeed. You and what's pre- it called? It's called uh, "Opening the X Files" and a critical history of the original series. Um, and you can reorder it from Amazon, Amazon.co.uk, Amazon.com. Um, I've also written a fiction book that was Amazon long. Amazon.co.nz as well. Yeah, if you're feeling it. Um, and I also got uh, long listed for the Mercier Fiction Prize as well, which is pretty cool. Fantastic. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Um, but uh, yeah, so you can hit for, us up. No, for a different book. For a different book. Not not this non-factual history of the X-Files. It's not as if they looked at it and went, this is a really great piece of fiction, Darren. Yeah, we don't no, want no. to reveal too much, but Darren may have written another book. Yes, um, but we'll see how that goes. Um, if anybody out there is a literary agent or publisher, please let us know. But uh, other than that... Um, We'll... Let, let let me know and I'll decide whether I want to tell Darren. <laughs> yeah. Andrew would like having that to hold over the podcast, really. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, so that's cool. Um, as ever, feel free to reach out to us. Uh, give us a tweet. Uh, if you if you like the podcast, tell everyone. If you don't like it, tell us. All right. Take it easy, guys. We'll be back next week or the week after with 2001 A Space Odyssey. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, bye. Like I said, the podcast. Now, to understand it the way I understood it, hearing it from the Darren, that is to say, from the Darren half of Andrew's mind, you have to go back about 30 episodes. The time when Andrew decided he wanted to record a podcast. Now, he was already dangerously disturbed. He had been ever since he started listening to Matt Mara. But Darren was a clinging, demanding co-host, and... For weeks, the two of them lived as if there was nobody else recording in the world. Then, Darren hosted a podcast without Andrew. And it seemed to Andrew that he threw him over with his co-host. Now that pushed him over the line.